back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh. We've got Blake and Bryce, our guests uh, slash co-host on the show, uh, to chat all about Star Wars Light of the Jedi, Charles Soule's latest book to the Star Wars lineup, and uh, the book responsible for kicking off the era of the High Republic. So this is a very in-depth, spoiler-centric review slash discussion. We're going to be going through it from uh, top to bottom. So anyone who is planning on reading the book, just a heads up there, anyone who is not planning on reading the book and listening to us instead. You've got a lot of information coming your way. It's a supersized episode, so stay tuned and we'll get into this in just a moment. Another happy landing. We are the guardians of peace and justice. Beyond the stars is a near endless frontier. Our order was meant to shine its light in even the darkest corners of the galaxy. There, we found an evil that none of us had trained for that threatens all we know. For the survival of the Republic, the fate of all Jedi for control of the Force itself. <laughs> so this uh, this launch trailer came out a little while ago now, uh, when they kind of first kicked off all this all this announcement that we'd be getting a whole bunch of content uh, through the likes of these different kinds of books and comics and all that stuff. And that was after the announcement of uh, this whole Project Luminous, which ended up being the High Republic sort of uh, title. But uh, yeah, what did you guys think when you saw that trailer? I know we went over this before, but to anyone new tuning in, um, now that you guys have read this book, kind of giving this a listen again, like what, what do you think about it? I, I feel like it wasn't actually all that fitting, at least to the story that's been revealed thus far. They're not fighting over the force itself whatsoever. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Yeah, what about you, Bryce? Yet to be revealed. I don't know. It, it was a vague... I don't... It was, just, it was just vague. I don't know. Like, yeah, we could be dealing with that kind of stuff in the future, but it, like I thought in the beginning, it, it's just more of like a... like a hype trailer. Mm -hmm. just, yeah. just some just some fluff to introduce 
a new thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And they, they might be alluding to the big villain that we'll work our way up to, whereas what's been released thus far is going to be the small potatoes getting kind of everything started, right? Right, right. Um, I mean, that being said, we should probably uh, forewarn everyone. You probably should have read the, the books and this stuff before, <laughs> yeah. before we start yammering on about it. So, well, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Uh, so like I mentioned in the intro there, everybody, if you if you if this is your first time tuning in the show, welcome to Star Wars Escape Pod. And if you haven't read Star Wars Light of the Jedi, this is a spoiler centric discussion. We're going to be breaking down the story beginning to end and uh, talking about it all the way through. So if you haven't read the book and you're listening to this because you have no interest in reading the book, first of all, my suggestion is you read the book. And then uh, after that, I'm going to say uh, just welcome regardless. Um, and uh, we're happy to spoil it for you. So <laughs> um, hopefully anyone who has read the book will find this interesting because uh, I did pick up on a few things through the ebook, which I've been kind of making my way through. And you guys have gone through uh, the audiobook, which is a, yeah. a different way of experiencing the story. And, and quite frankly, it's enjoyable in different ways completely because in, in your version, I mean, you got all the different voices that very talented story readers actually uh, like Mark Thompson and stuff have been known for in the past of doing such a great job. Um, and then you got some, I think you had, you said you had some clips to play at some point, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, so yeah, just sprinkle those through whenever you got one to pull up. Uh, just let, just let me know. And, and you can, you can go ahead and do that. I might just um, wait and just drop it in at random. So you, you won't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can experience it. Like we were, where we yeah. were in a very like relaxed state. Yeah. And then we were expecting with this awful, um, surprise! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna reveal it. It oh, really man. took us out of the story, just like it'll take you out of the yeah. podcast that you're trying to do right now. Oh, excellent mm, idea! So, uh, all those uh, listening at home, you can wait in in uh, excitement for this it's a big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> so, this era of Star Wars, the High Republic, this is 200 years before Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Uh, it's a it's a place in the Star Wars timeline that we haven't really had that much content being delivered to us through any forms of media at all. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the older public and prior to that and and a lot of stuff after the original trilogy in the expanded universe that is. And now even in canon, of course, we've got the sequels and all the content that came with that stuff. But uh, but yeah, this is really this like thousand year period here where we haven't really had much of anything like in canon or legends. Um, there, This is a completely new uh open water that i guess the story group and lucasfilm general just decided to start telling these stories so um this book is like the first thing that kind of kicks off that whole era and uh you know, funny. And i kind of remember us doing this exact same conversation except talking about uh, the gap between revenge of the sith and a new hope talking about the book that was the precursor to the rebels t tv show yeah. Uh, yeah. A new dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dawn light out of this, this, this. I get this mental image of like the yeah. sunrise or something. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's cool. I like how I, I mean, not to jump to the end right away, but I like how the title of the book works its way into the story. Um, and uh, mm, yeah. the book itself is 
split up into three parts, three sections, uh, each of them with their own interlude at the very end. Uh, part one is called um, The Great Disaster, which focuses in on the big, huge plot that kind of kicks off this story, as well as the whole uh, ripple effect that'll kind of make its way through all the different stories that come after this. Uh, part two is called The Paths, which kind of really get into the villains a lot more of the story, which is uh, they're called The Nile. And then part three focuses in on uh, it's called The Storm and focuses in on like this final battle that takes place as well as uh, the conflict that is kind of yet to come. So uh, that's just the general three sections of the book. Uh, there is a children's book uh, called uh, The Great Jedi Rescue, which actually adapts the first third of this book in like a square kind of children's format with a lot of pictures. I did read that. Um, and was there was actually a lot of text in there. So I think it's meant to be a book that's read to kids and then there's pictures to kind of show with it. I thought it was really cool seeing the pictures because the artwork was really cool and it was kind of, hel it helped me get like a mental image of like what this first third of the book was about. Uh, but we all had a discussion about some of the designs that they've released online for a lot of these ships and stuff that mm -hmm. you see uh, introduced right away in the story. Uh, but yeah, I just like want to bring that up because I think you guys really liked like the the vectors and everything and the uh what, what's that long ship called the long beam the, the, yes the long beam, yeah, the long beam. <laughs> what's that long ship it looks like a beam. Long, long something sort of beam shaped yeah right. i was gonna say josh you know what the older i get the more i enjoy the pictures as well so <laughs> we were all thinking it yeah. right right so you know what if you're saying it's good i might go ahead you and read what? this guy too yeah we're all get on board yeah, we talked a bit about the ships outside the the show here, and uh, looking at the photos and stuff, they are I thought really cool designs, and you can kind of see how they led into what we see in the prequels, like the the clones are using in the Grand Army of the of the Republic. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I love I love how these vector ships uh really uh are catered to the jedi as well like they're they use their lightsaber as a key and then uh depending on the color blade that they have that's how the screens all illuminate around them and they yeah, can control these ships with too. like the force and everything yeah. too and yeah it was just such a cool concept that was but. something that i thought actually was extremely cool and kind of wish now we could see anakin do because i believe he'd be able to do it and that's while piloting his own ship also use the force to fly another one simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I don't know. It, was, it just felt very, uh, very Jedi like. In yeah, a way. I think it kind of works, right? Cause if you like this kind of universe that we've been brought into mm -hmm. the, the Jedi don't have like a negative stigma about them. So it's like right. the universe is kind of more willing to work with them. Oh and yeah. It makes sense that like a company, would want to produce things for the Jedi because it's profitable and it's like, it's like yeah. a good contract. Right. But yeah. in like, you know, in the, in like the universe between episode one to one to three, it's kind of like, ah, we don't work with these, those like stuck up Jedi. Like, yeah. Like, and also the Jedi probably don't have enough money to buy this stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. And no, I'm glad you brought that up because this is kind of a big staple in the story. Uh, of this novel throughout the whole thing, I was constantly reminded people like the Jedi here. Whereas yeah. like in the mm -hmm. prequels and specifically yeah. the Clone Wars, multiple times through that show, we saw so many rebellions going on. People don't like the Jedi. People blame the Jedi. 
And and uh, in this book, it's quite the opposite. Like the Jedi are those knights in shining armor, literally, that show up and save the day. And it doesn't necessarily need to mean swinging a sword and cutting down droids, right? Yeah. Um, the, like they're heroes because of what they do and what they stand for, not so much fighting wars and stuff. Yeah, it's, um, they're not really viewed as like space cops, right? right. You don't yeah, you don't see them yeah. coming, and you're like. Okay, these guys are going to cause more trouble than they're going to yeah. like. They're going to hassle me and cause yeah. a bunch of commotion. Yeah, they're going to bring the yeah. bad guys down on me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um this is kind of the mental image that I always had when when um of course it's in the era that now in in uh they've depicted as like the father of like, the Jedi. Jedi. But uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like what Ben says, like for, for a thousand generations, the, the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice mm-hmm. in, the, in yeah, the old Republic. Exactly. And it's like, this is exactly what that is. Like this is uh, the Jedi stepping in to, to take care of conflicts and not necessarily always needing to reach for their lightsaber, right? Like they're there because they're kind of that middle ground and can solve a conflict with the force as an ally rather than um, fighting a war and this is something that goes back to like what Yoda says as well about the Jedi it's like the Jedi do not seek um, uh, uh, seek out a war is it what, what does he say again about that he's like uh, he says something in regards to how a Jedi doesn't seek out the fight right like yeah. uh, it, it, the, the sure force the is used for quote. knowledge and defense right uh, that's the whole idea about that what Yoda gives to Luke's so like the forces for, for a Jedi to use his knowledge and defense rather than a weapon. Mm-hmm. And um, even in that in and of itself is something that some of the characters in this novel actually have some trouble with. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. So uh, the great disaster, it's a time of peace and justice in the, in the galaxy, right? Like the, the Sith are kind of a, not even, a, uh, actually, I think they're mentioned like once in the entire thing. And it's because of a specific weapon that I want to bring up later. But, um, but yeah, like they're not even a, a thing right now. Uh, so what happens is like the, the Republic is, uh, is doing something very ambitious. And this is what I really like about the story because obviously this never succeeds. Um, but they're trying to expand the Republic to the outer rim. Uh, via the Chancellor's new project called Starlight, which is going to be setting up these big space stations as like kind of beacons uh, and outposts. Yeah, along the outer rim so that people that far out from the core can feel actual connection to being part of the Republic. We are all the Republic. We are all the Republic. It's a line that echoes (laughs) through the book constantly. It came across very culty to me, to be honest. In fact, I think think we should all try to say it in unison here on the show. We are all the oh, you we, guys are, one, two, we, three. We are, we all, are all the republic. <laughs> Josh, just just edit it. Just just edit it. Yeah, I'm up. I'll, I'll edit it to make it sound like there's a thousand of us. Yeah, um, now we're talking. So that's really um, how it came across. Even in the recordings of the audiobook, it really felt like when someone says that everyone's supposed to reply in unison, like some <laughs> grand master. I can, I can right. see the, a chan- like, I don't know. It kind of sounds very like politician like to me. Yeah. Right? You gotta have some sort of like, keep calm and carry on. on. Yeah. It's like that typical slow. It's like make America better Slogan. or, or yeah. whatever. Right. <laughs> Almost like, like yeah, what, yeah, what is it? Make what is America it? better or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is. Or make America great again. That's the one. There uh, you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> I'm not from America, better. okay? I don't know Yours the slogan, but it's, it's yeah, mine's much better. Uh, but yeah, like in general, you know, the politicians they got those slogans and stuff for catchy. But yeah, in the book, it's like something that really latches on to a lot of people and including the jedi say it as well it's like instead yeah, everyone of, in the galaxy you anywhere you go outer rim inner core politicians yeah. they're all saying it yeah it's less of may the force be with you and more we are all the republic and and i think that's supposed to echo with the plot of the story it's like the whole point of the story is like the republic is trying to expand it's like they're trying yeah. to uh in like bring other planets into the fold that aren't used to being under republic law um, or being recognized as a republic. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a, in a lot of ways, it's a positive thing because they get the benefits of the republic. Like a lot of these starlight beacon things are going to have medical centers and uh, they're supposed to make transmissions go a lot smoother and all this and that, right? So the starlight beacon is kind of this staple thing that remains through the whole book is like big ambitious project that that's happening. Some people in the outer rim are not too happy about it. Uh, people who are used to getting away with a lot of crimes and, you know, and people who just don't want to be disturbed by big government. Yeah, that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the great disaster is, uh, it's, uh, it's a big ship that's traveling through hyperspace that, uh, it's later revealed came spoiler under attack. Alert. Spoiler yeah, well, alert. Well, this is your third spoiler alert warning. All right. Uh, so, so the ship comes under attack, which you find out later, but, but basically in the process of them trying to uh, fix the problem is they, they end up tearing the ship apart uh, in, in hyperspace. And what happens is a lot of these fragmentations of the ship start uh, coming out of hyperspace and crashing into planets and and space stations and all this and that and even almost a star, uh, which could cause like a supernova sort of effect and everything. So it's very dangerous stuff. And uh, this is uh, something very terrible because like, <laughs> I mean, it, it, like billions of people's lives are, are kind of at risk here. And uh, and it's at this at this moment in time as well, I'd like to point out hyperspace is very underdeveloped right now, like uh, right now, the only way to travel through hyperspace uh, is through specific hyperspace lanes, from what I gather. And and you can't always just kind of take off in a hyperspace like they do in the movies and just go where you want to go, like uh, which they rely in the films and in the shows and stuff, they rely on Navi a computer, right? Yeah. So at this point in the story, which is 200 years before all that stuff, uh, they don't have that technology yet. It's it's all re relied mm -hmm. on based on previously uh, calculated routes that uh, they've been known to have worked. And that and that's, isn't to that's say it. that those Navi computers aren't just calculating which path tra trajectory you need to take. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure it's that. It's like that different. I, I just think that like um, that there there are main hyper lanes, right? That the, like the trade routes go through, like the Hyperion Way, and like there's like very famous ones. You can look yeah. them up actually. Um, and I and I think what is the underdeveloped part is just like there aren't a lot of hyperspace routes that have been mapped so f thus far, right? Like there's mm -hmm. only like you know if you think of it as like a tree. Um, or at least maybe this is my interpretation of it. Like I think of like, if, if this is like a tree, um, 200 years ago, like we're dealing with like a much younger tree with a lot fewer branches and you right. can't yeah, that's a like, good way to put it. Yeah. yeah like you can't yeah. go from like, like you can, you can go on the main big branches, but you can't go from say like Tatooine to Naboo yet because mm -hmm. 
there's no hype no one's like discovered the you know the route the route you, yeah. you have yeah. to take the long way that's been like mapped mm-hmm. out right yeah that's that's uh that, yeah that's a good way to put it Cause um, i think because i think they do mention towards, they do have nav computers and nav droids but they're, they're just, yeah, they're just not nearly advanced. as capable yeah, yeah they're just not nearly as capable because like yeah. in this story they had to uh uh, tie, like uh, tie together uh, a million or something, or is like a hundred thousand. But they ended up uh, uh, in the actual story. It was just over fifty thousand originally, and then later they go up to seventy-five. I think seventy-five thousand. Yeah. yeah so, so what all happens in the first part here in the first part of the book? So yeah. So. Um, so yeah, this great disaster happens. The ship rips apart. All these pieces of the ship are kind of flying everywhere, and uh, and on uh, Hetzel Prime or whatever, that where, where the focus of this first part of the of the book takes place, uh, they have these emergences happening, which is what they're calling all these pieces of the the ship kind of breaking out of hyperspace and then traveling at incredible velocity towards you know planets and whatever and uh, in an instant these things are just gone right like like turn to stardust or or uh if you can imagine a, a meteor kind of impacting earth but in yeah. kind I, of, I think a good way to picture it is probably the last jedi when we see the the i forget yeah. the name of the woman but she launches her ship directly into that mega yeah star she goes into hyperspace into that other ship yeah so yeah, so that's so, basically what's happening but with like tons of pieces of it a big a yeah, big ship happening everywhere in hyperspace that are dropping out randomly right yeah so they call on the jedi they manage to uh the leader of the hetzel prime manages to get a plea out to the galaxy and the jedi here and 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 uh they send a message help is on the way and and instantly I was like, dude, that is like the most Jedi thing ever. Like I was I was like reminded of all those old Jedi quest books and like the Jedi <laughs> apprentice books that focused in on Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Anakin and Obi-Wan. And, yeah. and I was like, man, this really brings me back to like those just Jedi stories, you know, that that's like they're out to help somebody and not necessarily to to reclaim a planet back in a galactic conquest. But like because somebody needs help. Right. Yeah. And it's also and, kind of the vibe of like the old superhero serial TV shows, like the old Batman yeah. show where like yeah. the Bat- Batman gets a phone call to like go and like send a rescue party or whatever. It's got to go help some people fight some crime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first section of the book, very cool. I mean, a lot of chaos, people trying to get off planets and, you know, there's not enough ships for everyone to do it and, and, and all that stuff. So a whole bunch of Jedi show up and they're trying to control the or uh, kind of calm the scenario in where wherever they are uh, so there is now people on the planet surface trying to take care of uh, of rebellions happening down there because rich people is not going to like give up their ship to save a bunch of people and whatever else and and then there's pirates that try to take it over and everything so that thing's going on and uh what else, what else was going on um uh i get there was some other support ships that try and uh shoot down some of the debris from this emergences that happening and then something even worse happens because they realize that there's actually people alive on some of the sections of this ship that is emerging out of hyperspace and they yeah. don't want to blow up these people yeah that- there's kind of three stories going on simultaneously in that part yeah and that was the uh, the master and the apprentice who were trying to get the civilians that weren't able to get off planet onto that wealthy person's ship who wasn't willing to share <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, as you're just getting into uh, there's a almost like a, a piece of of the ship with people on it that is just in uh, just came out of hyperspace and is just in a, uh, flying at incredible speeds and out of control mm-hmm. and they want to try to 
dock to it and save those people. And there's a third group uh, that is, uh, there's a, a ship that's, I, I don't know, this part wasn't some quite sort of sure. They were in hyperspace or they got out and were able to match the speed of a chunk and they're trying to stop it from smashing oh, yeah. into the yeah. sun. So that was, the, oh, oh, that was one of the pieces that was about to hit something, yeah. And they were trying these, these to figure out a way. These things were like almost at hyperspace speeds. So they were like, yeah. they come out of hyperspace yeah. and they're traveling like sub-hyperspace. So right. assuming that's yeah. very, very fast. So I didn't yeah, realize I, ships could even get to that velocity. <laughs> yeah, I... I I had no idea either. Um, but uh, well, yeah, a lot of space, new stuff. Like you can go as long as you keep burning your engines, right? You're just going to keep speeding up. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you think True. so? Yeah. There's no resistance or anything. So yeah. just, um, the longer you burn, the faster it'll go. I'm not. The way that, I mean, Star Wars isn't very like scientifically space correct, anyways. So no. Yeah. Never, it never has been. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, yeah. now that you bring that up, they did actually mention specifically in that section that it would take almost the entire ship's worth of fuel just to yeah. match the speed of the object. Yeah, they're running yeah. out of fuel pretty quickly. So how do you guys feel like, like, how do you guys feel, um, like, did you guys like the way they handled the disaster? And like, the yeah, tone of actually, it? well, there's one more piece. Well, there's actually, uh, there's, there's like a, a space station that, that is yeah. hit and they, there's a group of people trying to kind of bring people out of that as well, which is another thing. But then kind of the big one that I also want to bring up is there's a chunk of the ship uh, with uh, nobody on it, but it's about to hit the star that kind of is in the Hetzel Prime system. And the Jedi all have to work together to mentally use the force and push this object away from the sun with their mind, right? And it takes like the whole network of Jedi across the galaxy, even like Yoda on freaking who knows where, to do it. And there's one Jedi that has this ability, which is very cool and reminded me of like, some of these crazy abilities that some Jedi had in the older public days. And she has the ability to kind of like through the force network the Jedi together. And her name is Avar battle Chris. Meditation. Yeah. Yep. It's like battle meditation basically. And and her name's Avar Chris. And she's the one on the cover of the book, uh, the blonde haired Jedi. And so she, she has this crazy ability. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, they, they do it. And that's one reason I, I'd never once thought that that was a way that the Jedi could save people like i've i'm so used to like seeing them just swing around their lightsabers and stuff like mm, that and something more physical and, yeah yeah something more hands-on something more physical and not necessarily like oh we all need to work together to like push this object out of the way or billions will die because a star is going to blow up yeah. um so it's something new that i really i really liked about that story but yeah i, really, uh, yeah. I, I like that a lot because i mean this is obviously taken directly from the old republic like Knights of the Old Republic with Bastila Shan, like yeah. um, where, but in, in, in that case, like when you're playing Knights of the Old Republic, you just know that like, okay, when, when, when she's in a space battle, they just end up winning somehow. Like, you don't battle meditation. They, they kind of talk really about explain. it. They yeah. explain it that she, uh, she simultaneously allows all of the uh, Republic uh, pilots to, work together better right like the, like the force is gonna kind of guide them to work together as a team almost like jedi themselves flying fighters and at the same time uh demoralize the enemy ships and and their pilots mm. so they'll lose confidence huh. I, I don't i don't remember it actually being explained yeah but, it's um, actually explained in the first game oh really so, so yeah. her yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead bro Oh, I was just gonna say it's it was it was nice like the book I feel like executed that in a way that I yeah that I kind of like 
Like I wasn't like, this is weird. I was like, <laughs> no, this is like, this kind of seems like something you could do with the force. Like, like even mm-hmm. if it's just like, even if, you know, each Jedi is just helping out like 1%, like if every if everyone is like able to kind of like communicate like it this seems like a cool thing that jedi could do it doesn't seem like some crazy yeah. super weapon like there are jedi that are like mm-hmm. dying yeah right while they're trying yeah, to they actually died while doing this mm-hmm. which which i think is really good because it's like i'm so it's sick not an of, easy thing to do it's, it's like it goes back to the whole thing yeah. of like with with no sacrifice no victory right exactly so it makes uh, it it makes it feel i mean it feels bad but it makes it like the stakes are really high and really like, yeah. if no one's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, if it's just, yeah. if it's too easy, then they all become too powerful. And why is there ever any problems? Yeah. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because that was something that kind of struck me with, with when they first uh, had this anticipation of like, okay, we all need to work together to like move this. I'm like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to move it. And, and then some Jedi died while doing it. Cause they're, they're they whole failed focus, the first time. Uh, they failed the first time yeah and and their whole focus was like on this thing and some of the jedi who were flying around ships and stuff like that just crashed and had accidents because their whole attention was being like everything that they were giving was towards moving this object yeah and and i was like this is so cool like like watching or just like having this 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 thing happening but then like there's really high stakes because like yeah some jedi are actually dying because of all this yeah and, you but you there are some idiot jedi out there okay? <laughs> like, there's that one guy right. who falls off of a tower while he's yeah. trying to do this and he falls oh, yeah. to his death yeah. like, i yeah. don't know maybe do your battle meditation in like a comfy chair <laughs> not on like True. the end not yeah, on the edge of clip. a skyscraper like you moron yeah he passes out he tries so hard he passes out i thought that was kind of a a silly death yeah yeah it's like he's just on the corner of a building he's like yeah you know what's really funny though is they describe him as being this great master and then he does it was such a great loss to the to the jet order and they also mentioned he wakes up right before it but he can't save himself like how sad is that while he's falling he's still focused on the fragment in space you know yeah. um but oh, yeah my. i mean so yeah there was some <laughs> i guess good and stupid things that probably <laughs> but, came out of that I situation mean, uh, the reason i brought up like how do you feel about the like the tone and stuff of the disaster is because i do feel like they executed it pretty well like it, everyone feels very mortal Hey, yeah, you oh, get, yeah. like yeah. almost instantly when you're introduced to this guy alone on this crappy space station, he's just out in the middle of nowhere and he's like, oh, man, I can't wait to go uh, to go on a date with the cantina woman. Oh, she's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Like he's dead. Wait, yeah. well, what's yeah. that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was actually really because at first, you know, when you're when you're listening to a story or reading a book, or whatever, it introduces a character and then instantly you're you're kind of uh you're not forced to to like this character at all but but it's like instantly you're you know, in your head you're like okay I, here's a new character i gotta kind of get invested with like what he's doing in the story now and then by the end of the chapter he's like dead and it's yeah. like what yeah. like like j- yeah. a whole chapter like just to describe time. someone's aspirations and hopes in their life to ask some girl out and and then boom just gone like dead yeah and it's it was, like, it was but, setting a tone right that this is like yeah. a big deal it's a big disaster yeah. a lot of people have no idea and they're just going to be murdered at a moment's notice like right you and have, was, you have like one emergence comes out and destroys like four transport ships full of people, yeah right yeah 
so so innocent people and i'm probably going to bring this up more like as multiple times as we go through this but and i know i've spoken to to uh, blake about this before but like you don't need a super weapon to have like the high stakes yeah right? mm. like i yeah. feel like this really showed that you can have like a like a dis- like a star wars disaster movie or at the Nihil, like as we will get into that, and and the stakes still feel really high. Like those people yeah. dying, it feels really bad. Like yeah, and like it feels. And it I is like this. It's a big uh, problem that's not easy to be solved. So everyone really yeah. has to try to get ahead of this the the situation and work together. Yeah, and it was, which in that regard is similar to what they try to do with every story with the big super weapon. They got to figure out how to outsmart the issue, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just nice to not it be some giant mechanical super weapon that was being created to destroy planets and conquer the galaxy. Right. And uh, actually, there's um, one one an annotation I saved from chapter four, uh, which uh, it it's uh, it reads the Jedi's lightsabers would not save Hetzel. It would be the Jedi themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that that I, I don't like, know. That, I, I just like thought that was really for some reason. I that felt like a uh, like a, a passage quote. from the Bible. Yeah, you that's just what I thought too. Passage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote, I wrote down chapter eight. <laughs> from, from, yeah, Prokun chapter eight verse four. I wrote down on a note uh, I said yeah this is so true a real peacekeeper right there a real hero doesn't always need violence to solve a problem Um, so yeah it was war not makes a Jedi great right exactly exactly another perfect Yoda (laughs) quote to describe what the Jedi should be right Uh, I also found another funny one in chapter 7 if there was an uglier lightsaber in the order she hadn't seen it Uh, so this was uh, somebody uh, one of the Jedi who was uh, looking at another Jedi's lightsaber hanging on their belt and kind of mentally thinking that is one of the ugliest lightsabers hilts I've ever seen and then the guy (laughs) fell off a tower and she felt super bad for making that comment (laughs) Is that the same guy? No, I'm just making it up. So really funny if they did that, right? Well, and it, it, I wrote down on the notes here. It's like, it reminds me uh, of all the times I'd seen flashy hilts in the movies, right? And and then here finally is an acknowledgement of an ugly lightsaber hilt. And I thought to myself, man, like all these like black series replicas and stuff that we could buy that are like you know these nice like chrome hilts and everything. And this one's supposed to be just like rusty and garbage. And uh, but it That's works. That's more something and, to say about the Jedi himself who owns that. He's clearly too lazy to actually take care of his lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, it. exactly. I just thought it was an interesting little quote because I, I thought to myself, like, man, there's there's a lot of fan made lightsabers out there uh, which resemble nothing of the ones from the movies. And and yet maybe this is kind of an acknowledgement for them. Just like, it's like a dumpster hey, it's still a lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, this first part of the book was uh, was very, I think, well orchestrated uh, because it is supposed to be so terrible that it kicks off not only the rest of the story, but it's supposed to have ripple effects through all the other books um, yeah. that they're going to be publishing, right? So does that mean there's going to be these emergences throughout all of the upcoming stories and stuff? Like this could potentially still happen? It's like possible. it's a lingering problem? It's possible. Um, I think as far as the end of the book goes, I mean, they kind of they kind of come to a conclusion that they fixed all the ones that were headed towards 
certain areas where people were in danger. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, you know, we'll get into this later, but yeah, having I think kind I have, of, I have stuff to say about this, but we can do it at the end. Right. Yeah. And I just very briefly though, like having gotten into some of the comics and how they overlap with this first book, like the first issue of star Wars adventures and then the star Wars, the higher public from Marvel, both of those first issues overlap with this book. Yeah. So to me, I was like, Oh, well, as we go kind of down the series a little more, uh, maybe, maybe it's possible. Cause this, this really, the, the comics really kind of go directly after this novel does. And, uh, maybe we'll see some later consequences that kind of come up in this story that kind of then show up later. Uh, but yeah, who knows? So, um, I so, do have yeah, a question part, for you guys, actually. Yeah, um, go for it. I, I haven't read a Star Wars book in a long time. And I was I was wondering, actually, are like, how does this, like, feel? Oh, yeah. Compared That's to, a good question. Compared to, like, other books you guys have read in the mm-hmm. past while? Like, is, are, mm-hmm. like, do people die a lot in, in, like, other Star Wars books? Is it kind of, Yeah, like, people, people die, but I don't, I don't know. Like, the stakes haven't been as high, right? Yeah, so, like, I, I, I agree with that. Like the stakes yeah. in this book were higher, I think, than probably. It's a good, yeah. it's a good question and, though, and I like that. I like that acknowledgement because, um, I mean, I know, yeah, like Blake and I have read some of the, some of the books at least uh, through through the canon, um, and I guess Blake, is, you, you've kind of like not read as many lately because the no. first batch of books I, were I underwhelming for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah like um, how do the characters feel and stuff like that? Like. I like characters, the characters in this book. Yeah, I would say actually the characters themselves, I think, are very like how they're described and created, and how they all have a very unique personality and history. Yeah. Like that has been very consistent. It's just a lot of the different plots have been uh, differentiating and lackluster to how interesting they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at you, Battlefront books. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> the second that one, I was actually uh, was actually amazing. The first one was. Oh, yeah. I, I took <laughs> me three tries to get through it, and I was never going I, back. I wasn't a fan, you know. I wasn't a fan. It was uh, it was it was tough to get through that yeah. one. But. but then Across the Stars was fantastic, and that was supposed to be uh, a preteen love story. So. Right. Uh, no, I got a question for you, Bryce, though, because, yeah, you haven't read nearly as many canon books, but you've read way more Legends books than I, than I have. Uh, I know that. Um, I don't know about you, Blake, but like, how does this book stack up to a lot of the stuff that you've read? Man, the old like I've read a lot of like old or maybe not a lot, but like a lot of the old like X-Wing and like like right. Wraith yeah. Squadron and, and kind of stuff like that in the old han solo trilogy but i feel like those books are like they're not great like this this i really enjoyed this book to be <laughs> that's honest. good um, that's good yeah because this is supposed to be canon stuff now right so it's uh, yeah i feel like yeah. i feel like the, the books like the 80s and, and like like non-canon stuff maybe not like the you know in the 2000s and 2010 like before but but like before the like in the 90s those those books definitely feel like you know when you go back to watch the Goonies or something like that and you're like this is this is a terrible movie but it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. I feel like I feel like a lot of those books have that vibe like X like the X wing novels like they're all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, very, I, yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah. As, as regards to comparison to the EU, I can agree with what Bryce is saying for the most part. There's a handful of books 
that still stand out to me is really good. And I believe it 99% of them are written by Timothy Zahn. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure. Those books are, are those books yeah, are good. I like, I like those. Yeah. Allegiance is probably still my favorite of all the books that have come out. And of course mm. the old, the old Thrawn trilogy is great. Yeah. And uh, the other one that is kind of weird because it's pseudo Star Wars is I really enjoyed Death Troopers. <laughs> the zombie, oh, yeah. Zombie yeah, novel. that one. Did you guys read Red Harvest as well? Yeah, I sure did. did. It yeah. wasn't as good as Death Troopers, but still enjoyable. Um, there was uh, the the one that always sticks out to well I've I've major nostalgia towards like the scholastic books for kids which were like the the <laughs> Boba Fett series and the Jedi Quest and the the last of the Jedi series and the Jedi Apprentice those ones were all kind of like right up my alley because like I loved the the prequels and 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 I uh, I really loved the character of Anakin Obi Wan and and like to watch that dynamic in the happen throughout these multi uh, series of, of books and Jude Watson made made i think uh all three of those series um jedi apprentice jedi quest and then the last of the jedi and then to see some of these characters kind of tie in with all those there's like this giant narrative that happened and it was really cool because it got into the uh, there's another thing about this book that i really like uh it, it got into their heads a lot more so you kind of understood those characters a lot better but then also uh it allowed me as kind of a younger star wars fan of reader to understand how the force works in a Jedi's head and like what kind of goes through their mind when they're doing certain things. And uh, this book kind of really brought me back to that state of, of kind of seeing uh, how all these Jedi perceive the force and like how they, uh, how they uh, kind of operate in their head with like what they're doing. So, um, you know, some, some ways to describe it is like this book really kind of highlighted how each of the Jedi view the force and like, Avar Chris really views it as like this musical song that uh, each person uh, in the force has their own tune. Um, and then there's another Jedi who uh, views it as uh, there was something else. Someone like, said light. they actually see it as a force. It's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I liked how they started getting into how all these Jedi are, are different in the force. Right. And how each of them are so unique. How they come and, to understand it and connect to the the force itself. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, so, I definitely like that. And I, what you said about those old books, it's it's really nice to read about the Jedi, and, and they're not perfect, right? Like they struggle right. with stuff as well. And you and you maybe from like an outside perspective, when you see when you're seeing them on films, they're like, oh, yeah. they're these like perfect guys. But they also like struggle with like, oh man, like should mm-hmm. I kill this bad guy? Like uh, I don't know, yeah. I just really yeah. don't like him. But the Jedi Code says I probably shouldn't. Uh, right, exactly. And there was there was a really cool dynamic between Anakin and this this Jedi Padawan back in the Quest series. Uh, his name was Furious Olin, and Furious yeah. Olin was kind of like Anakin's rival at the temple. Like he was this kid who was kind of jealous that Anakin was this like prophesized chosen one good at everything right away uh all this stuff and later oh, you see off a lot of people well uh, well something happens between the characters which actually gets him kicked out of the order and uh and later on in the last of the jedi series when the jedi are kind of like killed off and everything obi-wan's in the desert he's got stuff to do and uh and he actually seeks out furious olin to be his aide and to actually um 
kind of bring him back into the fold and say, hey, look, you've been trained as a Jedi. We need to we need to do something about this, like this empire, this Darth Vader that's kind of coming to power, like all this stuff. And so Furious then becomes a big mm. staple character in that series. And he actually comes face to face with Vader and Vader recognizes him. And there's no, this really I mean, interesting yeah. dynamic between those characters, because I think Furious starts to recognize some things about Vader's fighting style and all this stuff. It's so good. It's so like it's something that you can't get in the films or in the shows right and and once again back to light of the jedi like there's there's something about this book that really makes it special in the sense that this is a star wars story where you get inside the heads of the characters and uh and that's something to appreciate it in in itself um and it, honestly this book i found just had a really large cast of a lot of characters and they all felt really unique there was not overlap which was really good yeah yeah, that yeah. too. The, the uh, whole I gotta, reason I brought that up, yeah, as well. Like, I was like, I was like, I don't know. Like, is this like? I, I was kind of worried you guys would be like, it was a mad book. Like, and I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> I just haven't. I like haven't read a Star Wars book in a while, and I was just like, ha, it's really good. It's Star but, Wars. Uh, <laughs> Where's lightsabers? No, I but, think uh, I think this was. Uh, I think this honestly was probably. If I were to recommend any book for anyone to read in Star Wars, I would probably give them this one now and say, this oh, really? is a good idea for it. Yeah, because not only does it kind of act as this beginning point for in general, like Star Wars stories going forward uh, in canon, it's actually the first thing that if you were to put everything in a stacked timeline, Make like the them first the thing on the list, <laughs> it's the, yeah. So it's the first thing on the list. And, and, and also it's just a generally good story. Like it's, it's a good Star Wars book because there have been Star Wars books that, you know, we've read in the Canon that have not been that great. Like some of them have been pretty exactly underwhelming. True. And, yeah. So, um, I mean, this is though, just a solid book. Question is, would you tell them to read it or would you make them listen to the audio book? Triggers. A squeal from the comm system. Loud and insistent. A scream. Or a yell. Forceful. Almost panicked. It startled Tayami. And if she were not a Jedi Knight, she might have inadvertently fired her weapons. But she was indeed a Jedi Knight and did not fire. It took Tayami a moment to understand what she was hearing. Not a scream, but words in Shriwok. Muriaga saying something she could not understand. Loud, insistent, desperate. His emotions strong. It has to be the worst Wookiee I've ever heard. That Wookiee interpretation is terrible. It's so bad. That was even worse like a, than I remembered it being. It's like a guy who's... Um, uh, been, I don't know, tied up around the mouth or something, just doing, you Let's know, like a... again. Triggers. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a... Actually, do you have any other audio clips from the first third of this book before we kind of move the on to the second? third. Or, or uh, anyone? I, I only have one other audio clip that I, I clipped that I wanted us to listen to, but I knew we had to listen to the fantastic interpretation of Shriwook in this audiobook. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> is there a, do you guys have any other comments or like questions for for each of us kind of about this first third? Um, 
No, I think disaster. I'm ready to, ready to move yeah. on. I want to move talk on. about the... Yeah, it's it a good lead up. Let's get into All the rest. Right. Cool. So part two, uh, the paths really introduces the villains, uh, introduces this new fact uh, factor to hyperspace that hasn't really played out for the rest of the galaxy yet, which is uh, they have a lot more knowledge of a lot more lanes than what's generally accessible by the Republic and by people in general. And um, it also introduced something really cool. They brought into the Santeca clan into this into this section of the book, which uh, we only know of one Santeca in the films, which is Lor Santeca, which is like the old guy in The Force Awakens who Kylo Ren cuts down. But he was a friend of Luke Skywalker and uh, kind of an ally of the Jedi at that point in time and helped Luke actually recover a lot of artifacts and find old temples and stuff like that of the Jedi's past and everything. So... Uh, I thought that was kind of cool that they brought his ancestors into it and yeah. that their job specifically is uh, they're basically like pioneers. Like they go out and find hyperspace lanes. Yeah, they found like mountain passes, but it's hyperspace. Yeah. And then they sell that information to uh, like, you know, the, the, the Republic, I guess, or yeah. whatever. I was super glad they did that, too, because the beginning of Force Awakens, when you meet Lor Santeca, they make it feel like he's this really important character and then nothing happened right <laughs> it was yeah. very lackluster to me so this kind of fills in a little bit of why he was important even mm -hmm. if it's just through his lineage yeah 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 totally um so uh there was there was something that popped up in this section of the book which was it stuck out to me i just wanted to run it by you guys maybe maybe you have a better idea what this is or maybe an idea for kind of what it could be. Uh, the the line said, uh, can you coordinate the other RDC commanders to station cruisers at the applicable hyperspace beacons? What is a hyperspace beacon? Is that like a, it's like a, like a, a lighthouse or something floating in space that just kind of, it's like where the hyperlane begins and ends or something. Like, I don't, I don't fully I think know. So. I feel like it's a launch point for like the yeah. major hyperspace lanes. If like, like a buoy. Like I'm, a, I'm looking a buoy at, I'm looking at it on uh, the, I'm looking at on the Wikipedia. Yeah. What does it um, say? And uh, here, let me send you guys the link here, but there's a, there's a Canon tab and a Legends tab in Canon. It's only referenced in this book and in Star Wars issue number 56. And that is it. Uh, in in Legends, it's got a lot more to it where uh, it's been mentioned quite a few times through various different stories, including the Darth Plagueis book. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure yeah, out Because I feel like in, in, the, in the Legends, hyperspace beacons, you had to use them because like, yeah. I mean, in like, and, and we're talking like 3000 years before the Battle of Yavin and stuff like that before nav computers existed. Yeah, this right. feels to me like it's supposed to be a buoy for shipping lanes when a ship is leaving port. So they don't hit anything. Yeah, um, it does say on this page, they're also known as jump beacons. So yeah, so fixed as navigation points for hyperspace travel. Yeah, it could um, be, and they kind of talked about this in one of the Nihil parts, where you have to get beyond uh, a certain distance from a planet to jump, so it doesn't, uh, it's not affected by the planet's gravity well, and mm. th that could be a beacon that would signify you're now in a safe, uh, you're safe enough from the planet to, to jump in hyper hyperspace. Yeah, that's that's also a possibility. Yeah, um, I don't know. I was just kind of curious about it because it was the first time that I'd read about a hyperspace beacon, and um, yeah, I, don't know, I just thought it was interesting. So 
Um, what do you guys think about the now? Because this is kind of the real, uh, it really gets into the the juice as to like how this organization is kind of made up. And it's basically this, uh, what they described it when the authors were all chatting about it in the launch events. Like they're kind of like Vikings or pirates, but kind of worse. They don't really have a code, but they do have a structure. And it seems to me that it's almost like a pyramid scheme of some kind where like they recruit, sort of, yeah. uh, yeah, they recruit, uh, what's the term that they use for them? Uh, uh is it like strike, they call it different terms, like strikes, strikes clouds, clouds, Tempests, yeah, yeah, and the tempests are like the the, the, the heads eye. of each section, and then there's the eye, yeah. So there's like the four different kind of titles there. The eye of the Nile is a title given to the person, uh, specifically Marchion Bro, uh, or how is it pronounced in the in the in the audio book? Yeah, it's like that. Marchion, Marchion, yeah, and they also okay. call them Nahil, not not Nahil, okay, Nahil, yeah, Nahil or whatever. Okay, I the Nahil, said, yeah. In the book, I thought there was the Nihil. That's it, Nihil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nihil. Okay. Nihil. So, so the Martian Rowe and his father used to hold the title of the Eye, which they have this secret as to kind of what they do to get this information, uh, which we'll kind of break down in a bit. But um, I thought his his kind of stature was cool because he's the one responsible for giving the the Nihil. Uh, the information to make these very unique hyperspace jumps, which only they can do. Like the, re- the the general public doesn't know about all that stuff. Yeah. So they're similar to Laura Santeca. They're able to figure out their own hyperspace space lanes and the majority right. of people can't do that. And it's something that it almost is done through the force. And so if you're not tapped into that kind of force power idea to figure it out, then you, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, and that's uh, and that's kind of their secret. They have a member of the Santeca clan, which uh, she's like hundreds of years old and she's being kept alive via medical equipment and everything possible to keep them alive. Uh, and she's this like kind of crazy loopy old woman of the Santeca clan who had this natural ability through the force to navigate through hyperspace and make these calculations that at some point later in the story, they have to have like 70,000 droids doing to, to do. Uh, but uh, she's able to do it just with her head and, and figure and instantaneously, out instantaneously as opposed yeah, to live time. Yeah. And li- I'll have live to time. Yeah. Live time kind of make new calculations through space uh so that they can travel in a new in a new what they call a path right uh so so that's kind of the secret to this organization and how they get around without being noticed or seen or uh or whatever right so so that the eye is kind of like responsible for that information and they keep it a secret and then they're the ones that give that those paths to the rest of the group to do their jobs um, the Tempest, what would you call them? Like the leaders, I guess, of each of their clans um, or each yeah, of their, there's, their there's clouds? There's three of them. There's, there's three Tempests and they're essentially, yeah, the leader of their clans. And then they have their strikes and everything underneath of them that it kind of goes down. But they're the ones that get to call the shots, right? Those, the three Tempests mm-hmm. and the, the Eye. And because there's four, uh, when they had originally made the organization, I guess the Eye had kind of the tie-breaking vote wormed his way in yeah to yeah always be the tiebreaker yep uh so yeah and then there's the clouds which i guess i guess symbolizes like kind of sub leaders within somebody's tempest group um and then the strikes are kind of like the minions like the the soldiers and stuff like that the people that are like at the bottom uh who kind of do the, all the dirty work and stuff 
but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, I was like, how, how do you get a group so ruthless that you get people to follow it? Right. Cause I mean, I know people are crazy, but, uh, well, but they, I lure, mean, like, they lure people in by offering them absolute freedom. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I guess where this thought process is going, because it's like, how do you get in general, like, I guess, how does a pyramid scheme kind of operate? Right. And it's like, oh, you lure people in with the benefits of participating. And then it's like, look, you can be wealthy and rich if you do this. Right. And so that's kind of like their mentality. It's like, oh, yeah, we pillage and pirate and stuff. We've got special ways to do it. Nobody else has. And that's how we're successful. A, kind of an apprenticeship program is very how it's kind of modeled after, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so it was very so even though they have this like rough architectural like code as like to how they work and everything, it's very like very rough because anyone is willing to cut someone else's throat in that place to kind of get a higher position and to get get money and and anything that they can get, right? So. I mean, they are all pirates. Yeah. To to me, it it seems like, it seems like these are, it's like less, it seems less Viking to me than I originally like thought they'd Mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it kind of sounds like they're, it's like, um, and this has happened a couple times in history where you have like an anarchist government, you know, where it's like, we have a government, but we believe in freedom, right? Like no one's in charge. I might, but really you do have like, like Marquion Rowe is in charge, right? Like he is the politician. Then you have like the three generals and then everyone else gets to be free. But really you do have a guy who's kind of like the shadow king, right? He's calling the shots just because he doesn't call yeah. himself their leader, but he's still leading. So, so I feel like it's really like, it's like an anarchist society, but they it's like false freedom. It's like, you don't really have freedom. I'm making you believe you have freedom. Right. I feel like if people want something to visualize exactly how these guys act and what they, to me, what they look like, just watch Mad Max Fury road and look at all the, the Raiders. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Uh, That's the perfect depiction as to like what these guys are like. Like they're basically the Raiders from, yeah, you know, some dystopian. Like, yeah, and what's really funny is in the audiobook, whenever uh, they play these guys, always have like thrash metal in the background. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Wreck, wreck metal. They or, it, yeah, they call it wreck punk. Wreck something punk. Like that. That's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Wreck but they punk. actually have music in the background of the audiobook, and it's the same music as Mad Max Fury Road. Those guys yeah, are always it's, playing. It's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I really like the way how they've executed the Nile. And again, they're Me not too. like these crazy powerful people. They're just like disgruntled miners and like people mm-hmm. that are they just want to like screw around. Yeah. <laughs> they're just sick of the government and they just want to yeah. do what they want to do. Well, and here's the other thing cuz like they really posed the Ni- the 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 I always forget the pronunciation the Nihil. the Nihil. The uh, Nihil. Yeah. yeah. Nihil. So the, Nihil. Like they, they over Nihil. <laughs> <laughs> they they posed the Nihil um, uh, as to be this like very intimidating, very scary group for the Jedi to face. And throughout the whole book, I was waiting for that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not until like the third part that I'm kind of getting into why. But uh, but yeah, all I'm going to say right now is like they just have no ethics. Like they've got no reason to hold back anything. Like everyone's trying to kind of, um, I guess, I don't they, they don't have any sense of like what it what where the line is right 
So uh, if it means, you know, going suicide to take somebody down, then they'll do it, right? Or kill um, their own friends and everyone who might yeah. accidentally get in the way. Yeah, like, yeah, massacre big, their own I think people. a big theme of the Nihil in general is, like, they're, they're not as, like, I don't know if they're as extremist as, like, I think the people in charge are extremist. But, like, I think in general, a lot of, like, the, just the normal people are kind of just being taken advantage of. Oh yeah, oh, totally, sure. totally, and because, that's what makes it kind of like a pyramid scheme, right? Yeah, because like, they've been they've been taken yeah. by this gimmick, like you know, when in the book when they're like, uh, it's because they're a bit goofy too, and they're a bit yeah. in over their heads, where they're like, "Who are we? Like the Nihil? <laughs> what <Yeah>. do we <laughs> ride? The storm? The storm? <laughs> Who guides us? The eye? Yeah, right? Like it, it is very like, and and then in this in this part, right, you get the first. Um, you get the first kind of taste of Marquion Road just trying to control the rabble. Like he has, you know, his one Tempest, uh, Tempest runner, he goes off and tries to do his own thing, right? He's like got this yeah. great make, he goes to Iriadu and tries to like extort them and it all goes right. wrong. Which yeah. Is like really which fun. I love, I love that they chose Iriadu to do this yeah, because uh, Tar- Tarkin is from Iriadu. Yeah. And and it's widely known that the Iriadu people are kind of natural born hunters. So when it all goes wrong, it's like, oh man, here they're so screwed. Like they're going to come after those people. Like, yeah, they're going to take like, them yeah. down. Like, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In the Tarkin book, they talk about his upbringing. And part of it was they just take him to the middle of the wild and with lots of dangerous creatures thing like tigers and lions and all that and they just leave him there and for him to be an adult he has to survive like six months or whatever make it back to town yeah it's yeah. pretty badass that's like honestly people. like that's their that's their that's their uh their culture it's like they they're raised to be these uh survivors basically yeah so that so. seems really cool and then we get we also get introduced I, I guess like what is like kind of like a generic um kind of like the short of what happens in this in this part I mean, they really get into the Nile in this part. Um, They also, uh, it's also uh, eventually, I don't, I forget if it's the end of this part or the beginning of the second one, or sorry, the third one. Uh, But it turns out that Markeon Rowe, the reason why he has this woman who's part of the Santeca clan is because him and his father are actually like related to that family. So Markeon Rowe is a Santeca person, but his name they don't use it at all through the book. And in the third part, it's revealed that he's not Markeon Rowe. He's somebody else. Like, that's not his name. Uh, and so I'm really curious as to, like, the identity of who he is and if he's maybe even uh, got a name that we might recognize, like, possibly. Or 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 maybe uh, he just has that Santeca last name originally. Yeah, but- it really alluded to him having some sort of mysterious background that's relevant yeah. to what's going on. What yeah, kinda, totally. I'm a bit yeah. confused because the art that I've seen of him, he is blue skin. Oh, really? Yeah. Too much drugs? Maybe. maybe I don't his know mother. if it's just concept art, but if well, I, I know. Well, it's, it's possible that maybe his mother was not human. Yeah. Chess or something? Yeah. Or, or oh, uh, cool. we wouldn't know Chess yet. Pan, yeah. Or maybe Pantoran or something like that. I'm also willing to be like, this is concept art because I guess I always pictured this guy. I think he's described as like long, kind of stringy black hair. And like, I never pictured him muscular, but his concept art is very muscular. He's like this ripped guy. Yeah, oh, I didn't okay. picture him that way either. Yeah. Very mm. scrawny. But um, we also get introduced to how they kind of fight, which is really cool. Hey, when they, when they take apart that fleet the first time we 
see them. Yeah. They really, yeah. So when they, they start them apart with harpoons. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, they're awesome. very, very savage. Like, uh, very, yeah. Like what Just a terrible way to go. Savage. Hey, like oh, yeah. <laughs> in your ship and have, you're literally torn apart by like a bunch of harpoons. Like, yeah. So that's kind of how, uh, that's a good point. So, so in this section of the book, it's revealed that, um, it wasn't, necessarily an accident that ripped that ship apart in hyperspace which caused the great disaster is actually because the nile were trying to get into that ship to access all the goods that it was carrying and uh and perhaps even steal the ship itself and one of the harpoons or whatever spiked the uh some canister of of gas or something which caused an explosion to happen which then caused the ship to rip apart i thought that so, it was i thought that marky on road just said it was a complete accident yeah, like, it was. Yeah, it was. Like, so it he, wasn't intentional. Like so he didn't, it wasn't. He didn't actually send the ship to to destroy the legacy run. He just well, like, actually sent in, in the, the hyperlane. In the third part of the book, it actually reveals that that was his intentional plan. But this entire like second part and the first part were all led to believe that this was an accident. And this is why I love the third part of the book, which we'll eventually oh, get yeah, into. Yeah. Is I, that I, Mark I was, I was Rowe, that Yeah, it, it's it just was definitely it's revealed his plan that, to do that. But I don't right. think the ship actually like attacked the ship in hyperspace. I think because he he was saying that the ship that he sent wasn't even aware that they caused the accident. Like they no, like he, yeah, they yeah. didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a little boy actually in this section of the book. It's a little boy that's revealed that he actually saw them, uh, who was on the ship and he was tampering around with, uh, some of the video, uh, monitors or whatever. And it turns out that sliced he was able to, yeah. yeah, he sliced into the, into the video feeds of the cameras or something on the outside of the ship and saw what was happening before it happened. And so he's the only one that actually knows that it was actually not an accident. It was actually uh, kind of this fluke uh, thing that it's like they they were trying to latch onto the ship in hyperspace and then it went terribly wrong kind of thing. Uh, but then later reveals like, oh, that person was given that target area right. of the ship to penetrate, which was a part of, part of this grand plan that Mark Young Road actually yeah. has. But um, they uh, in Chapter 22, they brought up uh, Elfrona, which is a planet, uh, a planet um, that they introduce kind of this Jedi outpost. It's where Blake, one of your favorite characters you mentioned, yeah, is driving as a cook. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So this planet um, is very cool because uh, Charles Soule is the author of this novel. Charles Soule also wrote uh, one of the Marvel comic series called The Rise of Kylo Ren. And in The Rise of Kylo Ren, uh, Lor uh, Santeca takes Luke Skywalker and Ben Solo to this planet. Uh, called Elfrona, uh, where they find this Jedi outpost temple, and it's been built into the the wall of a mountain. And it's um, uh, I wrote a little note here about it. Is that Kylo Ren and Ben Solo come here with Luke Skywalker and Lor Santeca after they rediscovered it, and then again when he decides to join the Knights of Ren after Luke's temple was destroyed, Ben Solo goes back there. Uh, and the inspiration of the design is directly uh, taken from uh, Petra Jordan. Uh, otherwise known as the Indiana Jones temple from uh, oh, yeah. the, the uh, which one is it? Raider? Uh, no, not Raiders. Uh, Last, uh, Last Crusade. Crusade. Yeah, Last Crusade. So so that was really cool that they used that in Star Wars now. Um, and that's where this Jedi outpost is on that planet, which is where uh, Blake's favorite character is. Who Did you want to talk about him? <laughs> uh, I'll talk about him a little bit. Uh, so uh, this character... 
Uh, Josh, I actually forget his name, so cut this part out and tell me what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to cut it. I actually can't remember it either. <laughs> it seems like Pon- Pado. Pompo? Pod- Are yeah, you talking about the old Jedi? Yeah, the old the, guy. Yeah. He's yeah. so cool, isn't he? I loved him, man. He was such a good character. Uh, let me oh, see. Yeah. I, I can't I didn't. I, I feel like his name didn't come up very much oh, after they introduced him. So Jedi old dude. <laughs> <laughs> let's see let's see let's see uh, well, while you're looking at, i'll describe him so he's this old retired jedi uh it seems that his race lives for about three centuries so he has lived his life for a little over 300 years as a jedi and he's dedicated a hundred years of each of the of the the centuries to invest himself into a different part of the the jedi system so a one one, point, uh, one century, he would have been just a warrior and really focused in on being a, a, a very strong, confident, well-trained warrior. And the next one, he'd be like just a diplomat. And I forget what the third one is, but there's a different section as well. And so he's kind of this old retired Jedi who's essentially done it all. But he's instead of retiring to the, the Jedi temple, he's decided to retire to this outpost in the middle of the the outer rim and just make a shack and just sell soup <laughs> well he works at the temple he works at yeah. the uh well, he's to be the, a uh, cook right yeah he's, he's a, co- a cook yeah which i thought was pretty funny like yeah so he just retired and now he just sells this nine egg soup to everybody right i i actually like that a lot because like yeah my question's always kind of you know I always think back to the Clone Wars show when when Ahsoka needs to find her lightsaber and she goes to seek the help of this uh, this turtle Jedi. I forget his name now, which carries around that lightsaber cane, who's like got the white lightsaber blade. Oh, yeah, I know what we're talking and, about. And uh, he says, oh, I haven't been on a mission in years. You know, the council hasn't given me anything. He just he's just kind of wanders around yeah, the, the temple. Old, and they just they don't even keep you busy. You're yeah, just... yeah, exactly. They just kind of expect you to live out your the rest of your days in yeah, comfort. They, they, and yeah, they so, just a retirement. And right. I believe it's now the last century he focused in on healing oh that's what it was yeah yeah so uh so this but yeah but your your favorite character there he's like he uh he's got this interesting mentality he's like oh i don't want to just sit around doing nothing like like he's no, quite he he's quite he useful to keep himself busy so, yeah, so yeah he so he wants how to, to make uh the his famous nine egg stew yeah that's right yeah nine <laughs> egg <laughs> stew that's porter, right porter angle porter when oh, yeah. i go to galaxy's edge i want a bowl of this nine egg stew but it's cool right because because like he's known as the the blade of Iracon or something yeah, like that he's right? like this like, old yeah. warrior from back in the day he's just right yeah. this like hardened just, battle it, it is, it's really cool because when you're on this planet and um and eventually you're introduced to the Nihil trying to capture this this mining family right mm-hmm. um you see him switch from like yeah. grandpa selling soup That's to exactly like what I was gonna get to you know you see him switch to like the Vietnam veteran who's just yeah. like <laughs> you know, yeah he like it's almost like he calls back on that old personality that he was and kind of shifts his mindset. So it's almost as if the three lifetimes that he's lived, he can kind of choose to take on that persona when he sees fit, which I thought was really cool. I don't know if that's a, a racial trait or if that's just something of this character specifically. So I think he, it's just someone set off a firecracker near mm-hmm. grandpa the vietnam vet and he just just triggers him all the training <laughs> just kicks in and then just yeah. just becomes this old badass jedi he's fighting off these pirates yeah, yeah. it was really really cool 
I liked him a uh, lot. There, there was a line in the same chapter where they introduced Alfrona, who's uh, a Jedi named uh, Bell. I forgot his last name. But uh, they're talking about how he slips his lightsaber uh, into his holster worn on his hip. And I kind of, when I read that, I was like, oh, like, do the Jedi carry their lightsaber hilts in holsters instead of just clipping them onto their belt now? Like, did you guys pick mm. up on that as well? Or, or was that just me? That's a good question. Uh the first thing I can think of to respond to that is reading the comics that take place in the same time period. The main uh, female character of the main High Republic series, she carries two lightsabers that are attached on a belt uh, across her, her chest, kind of a bandolier. So those mm-hmm. aren't holstered. So it looked like they still had belt clips. So maybe oh, it's good, just this character. Point. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I think it came up a few, few times with some of the Jedi where they, where they just holster their... I don't know. Maybe it's just the term that that Charles Soule was yeah. just using, but could be that too. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of mentally took it like as this, like a leather holster. Yeah, kind of like a blaster holster, right? Like yeah. I, I was thinking, like, oh, does it actually slip into some sort of leather pouch or something like that? They kind of like a sheath, like a sword or yeah. something like that. I think but, it's just wording as to holster something, like like put it away. Right. Okay. All right. Um, Chapter 23, they introduced uh, a, a place on Naboo called Verikino. And this is a uh, Anakin and Padme hide here uh, before the Clone War uh, and her, her family manages the estate. Oh, I figured but, it was this place. Yeah, yeah so, place so, so the Jedi, Avar Chris and some of the other Jedi, her, her kind of what's then later revealed to be uh, um, this Padawan that she grew up with that they kind of had a, a, a fling going on. Um, but um, his name is like Ez, Ezol or something. Or Ezar, so Elzar, Elzar, that's what it's like. So Futurama, yeah. So so this is the chapter that they go to the two uh, Santeca guys um, and kind of ask them for help to try and uh, 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 kind of go in a detective mode and try and figure out what happened to the ship that caused this great disaster, right? So they're on uh, their big property in this mansion across the lake from very from very Kino. And so they're standing on the balcony looking across this waterway at very Kino. And they kind of give this spiel about, oh, some great artist lives there. And it's kind of this estate where people can go and and, uh, you know, people of importance that is and stuff like that. And I, I thought it was a nice little nod to kind of that scene where Anakin and Padme stand on the the balcony looking off at now this place in this book um, and, you know, 200 something years later kind of thing. I just thought it was a cool thing. Just nice little, yeah, yeah, nice little nod. uh, And also information. They actually talked about the area itself. They mentioned how like it's all Lake country is what they refer to. Same as the films. Yeah. And they mentioned that it is the most expensive part of the entire planet of Naboo. And Mm -hmm. even uh, a lot of the uh, politicians and stuff and general wealthy people can't afford a home there only the ultra elite can afford to have any uh, homes in that area right right uh yeah thanks for i i didn't actually highlight that thanks for picking that up um yeah anyway i just yeah thought i'd throw that out there i thought it was like a cool little uh little recognized moment uh as well as the term that they use to describe the uh santeca's family uh they're called hyperspace prospectors that's the official term that they have for going out, finding and selling hyperspace uh, routes. So yeah, so that was pretty cool. 
Um, I kind of like that whole part, just the, all the uh, hyperspace lane fish stuff figuring out. I thought that was a cool thing to add in. Something that's not really talked about. Yeah. Right. Something yeah. that's not really mentioned in Star Wars very much is ex- exploring the galaxy. Like the mm-hmm. galaxy feels very much like. So everything's been discovered. Everything's yeah. discovered. Like we're just worrying about what's going on. Yeah. Which is yeah. why I like Star Wars RPG a lot because it's like a good. Uh, I don't know. So sometimes adventuring on like new unexplored planets yeah. or like charting yeah. systems, like that's something that happens. The outer rim. It's something that happens, but it's never talked about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, they used a term in this chapter as well for when what's his name again? Elzar. Elzar. Uh, that's uh, right. He he does he does something which the book refers to as uh, a mind touch, which uh, in common slang even amongst Jabba in the films, it's called a mind trick, but uh, he calls it a mind trick and no one else calls it a mind trick. They all call it a mind touch. And I was like, Oh, this is where the term actually comes, becomes a public knowledge thing is like, Oh, this is a mind trick. Cause he sees it as it is. I think he's a kind of a straightforward kind of guy. He's like, dude, this is a mind trick. Not like, what's a mind touch. Like it's like, tricking people. (laughs) to me, this felt like Lucasfilm story group trying to, change the wording because my touch sounds a lot more Jedi like the mind trick. You wouldn't expect Jedi yeah. to go around manipulating people and tricking right. them. Right. So, yeah. To me, this felt like they were trying to change the canon name of this ability. Oh, I, I, I felt it was kind of an in canon reason to give it a term that is that is very un Jedi like, right? Uh, which Man, is the mind way trick. way worse to me. This sounds right. like this sounds like harassment. Mind my, touch? Mind touch? Mind <laughs> grasp? Like at all. Do not touch my mind. Don't do a, a mind, yeah. mind, mind fondle. A mind yeah. grope on me? Like, <laughs> like there's no way Elzar had a good like time as a Padawan when they're just like, oh, what are you going to do, Luzar? Give, touch me with your mind, Luzar? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, man. There's a lot of stuff I grabbed out of this chapter. Um, there was another another little sentence that Avar sent him an impulse of her own across their link, one he would recognize immediately, simple and straightforward. Uh, so I've always loved how a Star Wars book can really, you know, dial in how a Jedi responds and communicates with the Force with other Jedi telepathically. You're in in their head, so you can yeah. actually see that stuff. Yeah, which or, goes back to what I was saying about yeah, this really kind of gets into. Um, yeah, and I'm sure Anakin and Obi Wan would have done stuff like that, where they kind of mm. communicate through yeah, the force. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, like that, really subtly. It's just we don't really see that in film because we don't right. know what they're thinking. <laughs> well, that's why I love the Jedi Quest theory so much. Like because, um, and I think it still holds up. Not that I've picked it up for a while, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, those the ten books that kind of stand as it is. Like it was, it was such a cool insight into like their relationship between episodes one and two so um yeah uh so i think in this i think in this section we actually start talking or learning about the actual government of the high republic and we Mm. learn about the chancellor and how they're trying to make plans to try to counteract everything that's going on and something that i was very surprised by and i really still i'm a little uncomfortable with is they decided to make the Chancellor of the High Republic, a Trandoshan. <laughs> it seems really strange to me. <laughs> what? What? She, what? No, she's oh, not Trandoshan. Am I wrong? No. Am I wrong? No, okay. No, 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 no. No, she's uh, she's human. She's got yeah. these like two big like cat like beasts though that hang out with her. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember that part. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. So, a non-human chancellor. What are you? That's crazy? not easy. <laughs> that's not the issue. No, the man. issue to me was I was thinking of Trandoshan and like this culture of oh, like, you're thinking of like, slaving. You're, like, you're thinking of uh, you're thinking Jedi of the, the Jedi Master Skier. Yeah, maybe Skier. I got those two mixed up because I knew he was yeah. a Trandoshan as well. I thought they both were right. They, they brought that up as a controversial sort of thing. Well, not controversial, but like a rare situation because they are natural predators and like don't have the widest affinity for the Force, I guess, and and they don't have the right culture to kind of support uh, giving their young to the Jedi in the first place. So uh, that was that was a character you really liked, Bryce. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I do like him a lot more in the comic as well, though. I know, I know, Blake mentioned that before. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he feels like, a little more fleshed out in the comic. Yeah, I really like that. Why can't we? Why isn't there a like an alien chancellor? It's like ah, we just started letting Wookies into the Jedi Order. <laughs> yeah, a, a non-human <laughs> as the chancellor—that'll be the day. Yeah, yeah, I had no problem with that. I'm, I kind of like I thought this entire time it was a non-human to be honest so, that part didn't of, bother me it was just a weird race choice that was what I thought so yeah. speaking of non-human characters uh, the, the, the Nihil is, is made up of quite a wide array of them including Gungans which we are yeah. introduced to Wet Bub Wet Bub Wet are, we, are we in part 3 now though? Uh, no this is he still part 2, part two. Oh, okay. he's there for uh, the Iriatu scene you find out yeah. not only is there a Gungan who's part of the Nihil but he's their best slicer yes yeah their best slicer uh, i thought that was quite bold he's like wow. i like white bub i'm, I'm even... pro gungan in the universe i like i like oh, the yeah. character oh, yeah. too but the one my only issue and it's not to do with the character itself is in this time frame do they even know gungans exist have they even gotten off world? oh yeah my oh, yeah. Inter- yeah it's like my they, they already know about naboo my understanding was Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon like discovered their city and their people. <laughs> no, I think I think what happens is is there's a point in time when the Naboo and Gungans kind of go into a cold war and they kind of like Yeah. Re- the yeah. Gungans kind of were like, "Okay, we're not going to have anything to do with you guys anymore." Because even even with the uh even in episode 1, the Naboo know who the Gungans are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. on their home world, but yeah. I didn't know. Also, the Gungans are also on, on one of their moons. As the well, Gungans right? are, yeah, and the Gungans so, are the natives, right? The Gungans yeah. are the native species to Naboo. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've been around for forever. I just okay. like to see that they're integrating <laughs> the, that race more and more now that, uh, you know, time has gone by Gungans since people hated cool. them. So. They can be used well. They can, oh, yeah. yeah. They I have can, no problem yeah. with that. I've seen them in RPG games and stuff being total badasses. Right. Yeah. yeah. Especially um, mine. Especially chapter, my Gungan character. Is there a lot? Assassin's Creed Gungan. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Kid blades that came out of his wrists. Who's awesome. <laughs> so is there a lot of Gungans off planet then? Or do they just choose not to leave? Probably not uh, too many. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like like you said, Bryce. Like, like I don't know when that era comes where it's like the Gungans and the people don't don't get along on Naboo. But I mean, we are brought to Naboo in this phase of the book where they're talking with Santecas and everything. So there wasn't a single mention of Gungans in that chapter. But um, it would be interesting to see at some point during the High Republic era that leads up to the Phantom Menace, like what actually goes on between those two cultures on that planet and, and kind of what leads to that uh, that dislike for each other. 
that we know. then see later Probably on. Probably has something to do with the Binks family. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get introduced <laughs> to uh, to yeah. a High Republic Binks that ruins everything for, Dude, that for would the be Naboo the best. and yeah. good relations. Oh, Tar-tar man, that, that would make that would make Jar Jar such a. I don't know. It, like, it, like if he came from like a, a family that had like a history of being just, just all fools. incompetent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dollar that would make it. Jinxed. Like they, they, they blame him even more so because because of like the family that he comes from. That would kind of give a little more. I don't know. To his character I think a bit, like, maybe it'd be even better if like we're introduced to just the Binks family. They're just a bunch of geniuses. Yeah, I'm like saying like the reverse. <laughs> like that would like, be awesome. I'd, I'd be down for that too. Like, like the leaders, like a a brilliant admiral in the Republic Defense Coalition. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's another thing that's brought up in this in this book. So the Republic is not exactly militarized, but it does have something called the Republic Defense Coalition or the RDC, which is is brought up quite a bit. Um, and they're well, how would you describe them? They're the like, Space UN. Yeah, kind of like the Space UN. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was really interesting about them was they they have their own personnel. So they have their own leadership. They have generals, commanders, pilots, that sort of thing. But they actually have no ships. So what they do when they run into trouble is they have to actually reach out to, to different planets of the Republic and ask them to donate their ships for whatever excursion. And they'll go finish the fight or, you know, help people evacuate, whatever. And then they'll come back and return those ships to those planets. Mm. Yeah. I think it's kind of like everyone kind of has to take, uh, kind of take their turn and stuff like that. It's something that goes on in our history every now and again, when you have like a coalition of Mm. like a, like the UN or NATO, they sometimes supply ships and work together. Right. I think it's really cool idea as well. Big fan. Yeah. And something new as well. Um, as far as, far as i know uh something that really hasn't funny come how too they much. couldn't even do that during the era of the new, new republic they had to go completely <laughs> demilitarize well they had something but it wasn't like it wasn't big that's for sure um uh chapter 30 uh porter uh it says there's a, there's a sentence here porter angle reached out with both the force and his hand palm out and deflected the bolt back yeah. sending it caroming back off toward the hills not strictly necessary he could have pushed it away with his mind or frozen it in place but flicking a blaster bolt away like an insect made a certain statement yeah uh, i thought that He's was a really badass. cool section of the book yeah and, and also just kind of uh it's a subtle reference to both what Vader does in Empire and then what Kylo Ren does in, in Force Awakens. But uh, I really liked how they kind of acknowledge that. And and it's like, this isn't just some unique power. It's like, this is something that any Jedi could do. Uh, yeah, if they just so. trained to do it. Right. And we kind of learned that, especially, I think, directly uh, referring to Padawans becoming knights. After that, you get to pick what you're going to learn and actually invest your time in. So th- there's a vast array of different force powers and disciplines you can go into it just depends where you as a jedi want to choose to focus yeah that's that's a great way to put it because because i think a lot of what i was thinking as well as many people after they introduced the whole force healing thing uh was like why can't every jedi do this like yeah 
why you know like yeah, is you it, think everyone's taught the same 10 skills and then you graduate high, jedi school right yeah 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 exactly but that's not the case it's actually like this there's all these different things and and one of the things that makes elzar's character so unique is he's so elzar, ex- bam. yeah he's so experimental like they make that something about his characters like he's always trying the new things with the force like he's always curious as to like whether or not this will work or not and i always thought that was such a cool mindset for any jedi to have because he believes like the force has no boundaries right like the force has no limits and that's kind of this really awesome way to look at the force because uh you know in one way in one way i think it's like yeah it's 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 yeah you can use it to push something with your mind and and this and that and a lot of the common people that have heard things about the jedi kind of view it that way but i don't think they fully understand like this is this entity of of so many things and and as and in the the reason why it's created in the first place you know via george lucas is it's supposed to kind of represent the raw base of any kind of religion that's ever existed like it's supposed to be a belief system it's supposed to be a a source of power it's like all these things right so i like how elzar's character is kind of uh, he's always thinking of like, oh, how can the force be used in these new ways that people haven't before? But do you think they're um, foreshadowing at all? It might be. Yeah, it might come up a, in a later book. Like maybe I'm, we'll I'm find sensing something. a bit of like, you know, he's kind of using it willy nilly. He's saying that there's kind of like, like the force is more of a power, you know, like that he's like right. willing to explore. Like when you're. He seems a bit unrestrained, and I think that's why the Jedi Order is a bit kind of like, well, should we they're have this guy? Yeah, yeah. Should like, we promote him? Yeah. Is he is he responsible? Like, or is he kind of like, I don't know. I'm interested, especially because with our like one of our main characters, Avar Chris, and their relationship, like something has to happen with that. And I oh, don't yeah. think it's not yeah. going to be something good, probably. Right? Like with no. Jedi and attachment, it's always going to be. Oh, there's a reason that we kind of like that in our you know episode one to three that they're way more strict about having no relationships right because yeah. like things probably happened so right I, and i and part of me wants it to kind of go wrong because it's mm-hmm. going to be really interesting and like i think the the rift is going to be like it's going to be a good book or whatever the heck it is right yeah yeah exactly um and i, I don't in know this... what will happen but uh, no, I'm, I'm with you in that sense. Like, I, I hope something kind of makes it dramatic, you know? Um, yep. Yeah. In the same chapter, there was a really cool thing with our character, Loden. Uh, he, he takes something from one of the, one of the vehicles that they've got, uh, a vehicle called the Vanguard, which is uh, this, like, an all-terrain kind of wheel bike sort of speeder thing sort of thing how did you uh, yeah i don't know how to describe it it's like this unique thing that all the jedi outposts have uh for the jedi to take out and as a vehicle and stuff um it's destroyed and he takes out this uh this what's described to be as a, like a metal pipe thing it turns out to be it's one of the ship's cannons and using uh, as kind of the general key to all their ships they use the lightsaber to to activate the ships to activate the weapons all that stuff uh he sticks his lightsaber in a special spot to where this weapon is programmed to respond to and he basically repurposes this this jedi ships cannon as like this lightsaber powered anti-ship rocket launcher which i thought was so cool and and he blows up one of the the nihil's 
ships uh, with this with this thing. And then it's like kind of like a one-time use and he discards it. But I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like he just plugs his lightsaber somewhere into the ship cannon and it like fires this like super powerful kyber powered blast at the ship and just blows it up. The like, whole like Jedi and their and their new ships and their and their like lightsaber keys. This very feels very like video gamey. And this is why I think when I was talking to you guys earlier, I, I kind of was like, it kind of feels like Mass Effect. If you've ever played that game you get like your own special ship and you get your own special like like little rover that you use on like planet missions and it kind of feels like that hey it's like very it's like a very like yeah. specialized thing that only you get and it has all these unique kind of like things that only you can activate i thought it was, yeah, it was yeah. it's a pretty fun idea hey yeah i li- i liked it i was I-, I thought it was also kind of interesting something i'd never seen before i was like What's like, it's something that somebody would come up with when they're doing like a Star Wars RPG game that's kind of free of any limitations. It's like, oh, what do I want? I want a lightsaber powered rocket launcher. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's kind of beyond the whole laser sword aspect. But um, I I thought it was like an interesting idea. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Lauden, Lauden Great, Great Storm is his name. Uh, roared and uh, a battle cry echoing into the empty deadlands of El Farona. This is also in chapter 30. Uh, such a cool moment. It's like they're, they're, they're kind of protecting this, one of the hostages that the, the Nihil kind of take on this planet, him and his Padawan. And they got lightsabers out in the ready in the middle of a desert. And there's this ship just careening towards them, like lasers firing everywhere and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this is so badass. Like just like this Jedi in the desert, like fighting this like ship. Um, And then he's got this big battle cry going on. I thought that was just a cool moment in the book. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed this, this whole chapter um, where they're taking these, these miners away from their home and stuff. Uh, Was there anything in this chapter that, in this section that stuck out in this phase of the book? Um, yeah, my boy Uriel Poof is back. Oh he's yeah, he's on the Real Jedi Poof. Council, man. He's oh, yeah, Uriel Poof, here. man. And he's got some, he's got some things to say. He doesn't, he doesn't want. I, I can't remember if he's pro-military or anti-military, but I remember him being uh, pretty outspoken. I like that. Right, here. he actually had some words to say in this chapter. Yeah, or in this uh, phase of the book, which was really cool. Him and uh, what's that slug? The big, huge worm jedi the old guy with the beard uh the uh, uh he's around as well rancis 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 something yeah. or another yeah uh oppo oppo rancis uh yeah. so he's he's also in the book and i was like oh that's cool because yoda is not the only one that would be alive in yeah. this time period it's like yeah yarrow and and rancis would also be around so they're I mean, kind of Yattle, acknowledged though? uh yeah i don't know uh maybe we'll get gattle showing up who knows um uh, in the interlude for the next section, there was uh, there was also another um, uh, Yoda is is kind of absent in this book because he leaves somebody in his chair on the council while he's on a sabbatical or something. And the Jedi's name is Efru, which is he, he's a Mon Cala, I think. Right. Mon Calamari. Which guy? Uh F Efru, he's he's uh yeah he's there, a, was, there was a pretty outspoken Mon Calamari guy on the council. Yeah, so he was filling in for Yoda, and he says, "I do not believe that there has a been a single instance of the Jedi getting involved in the military matters of the galactic government that has generated anything but endless complexity." Uh, complexity, uh, and instantly I was like, "The Clone Wars." Uh, 
peace and justice conflict you know here's here's like a subtle reference and a backhanded slap to all the jedi who are kind of involved at uh you know agreeing to participate in that war uh this is something that i think Efri was like really against he's like yeah anytime the jedi are involved in any kind of war bad stuff happens um it's too yeah, complex like, why did yoda choose this guy like <laughs> this doesn't feel like it would be yoda's first pick to replace him on the council right it's a bit extreme he's he's pretty outspoken yeah. uh i don't know i mean I, I i what he says though was quite quite bold i was like and, and this is something that in this chapter is something that the jedi actually debate about in this council meeting is like uh there have been times in the past where the Jedi have gone to war and like, what is that? Like, what does it mean for us to do it this time against the, the, the Nihil? Uh, and, uh, and you know, it's something that I was, I was thinking to myself, did they have this kind of discussion when they went guns a blazing into Geonosis? Like, I don't think so. Cause it was such I like a, it was a, um, it's such a split decision, right? It's like save your friends or don't. You have 30 right. seconds to decide. Right. Yeah. Else, yeah. And then that started a three year war. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we're into the third phase of the book now. Um, I've never heard of Blake. Blake, you still uh, around? He, no, he, he said he's just going to be gone for a couple seconds. Oh, he's, I'll be right back. Oh, I saw the message. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the third part of the book is called The Storm. And uh, this is kind of that final battle uh, lead up and execution sort of thing. Uh, what do you think of this last third of the book? Okay, so so what what do we got here? We just have like the the final battle, and is that it? And then just like the resolution after? Uh, yeah, it's like kind of the lead up to the final battle. So the first thing that I picked out from chapter thirty eight, if it gives you a sense of kind of where we are, uh, there's a there's a sentence that said. Um, the escape pods. Did, oh, this is during the final battle, chapter thirty-eight. So this is really not long after the, this, like last third starts to happen. Uh, the escape pods didn't have his people aboard. They'd been packed with explosives. Yeah. And when the Republic idiots got all noble and tried to rescue them, because heh, he said to himself, "We are all the Republic," uh, they uh, they basically use these escape pods as bait and and uh, blow them all up and yeah. then blowing up one of the enemy ships. This is when the Nile have kind of entered this uh, one third of the whole Nile organization is kind of fighting against uh, yeah. some of these Republic forces. It's um, and what, what's his name? Cassive. Cassive's Tempest. Yeah. Yeah. Cassive's Tempest uh, is, is kind of used by the eye who's Marquion Roll, who's now kind of executing his plan and um, and uses them as bait against the Republic forces. And and Cassive's Tempest really start has this moment in this chapter or when the battle breaks out, they're starting to lose. And then he realizes like, hey, we're not fighting like the Nile. We're we're just we're just fighting against raw yeah. military. It's fighting uh, like any other military group. Yeah, raw military uh, trained veterans and stuff like that. Like we're gonna lose. Like we we got to break out our way of fighting, and then they go full on savage. Yeah, and, as dirty and start, as possible. Oh yeah, and and you see, so and I was like, I was like, how scary can these guys really get? At this point in the book, I was like, I'm waiting for that moment of like, okay, I, I, I'm I'm failing to see how terrible these guys really are, aside from kind of 
pillar tours and pirates and stuff. And then I was like, I got it. I got it. This chapter, I was like, okay, I fully understand now what makes them so uh ruthless ruthless yeah just so scary because yeah now their line is gone like they're starting to crash their ships and they're starting to leak out toxic gas uh yeah, into the atmosphere the ships they had had stolen was a uh had like radioactive gunk in the yeah, it was, it was just yeah. Just garbage yeah. ship yeah. yeah, so they start leaking this stuff out into space and any pilot it, yeah. flying through it is just going to have a slow, suffered death after they fly through it. And I was like, what the heck? Like, yeah, even their own guys are suffering yeah. from this. But There's like, another no. one where, where one of the ships flies up to the bridge of one of the Republic's, like, capital ships and just shoots its engines, like, into the yeah. bridge. Yeah, like, it just oh burns through the, the viewports. And so yeah, it's, it's like all yeah. these... One of all them, these ways that I never thought yeah. was like Star Wars possible, you know, yeah. like yeah, just it's true. Or like really it's dirty. Not, it's not crazy enough, but but they write it well. Hey, how it, it doesn't yeah. feel yeah. It doesn't like feel out they're there. just pulling this stuff out of their butt. Like they're, right. it's like okay, like this isn't they actually had some plan. This isn't mm-hmm. like a one starship going into hyperspace and killing like a million ships type of like out of nowhere it's just like a one ship shooting its engines into a bridge i can believe that right yeah just doing um, really dirty tricks i like the escape pod part as well yeah. One yeah. Ship pretended to be uh on its last legs and launched all their escape pods and the, the republic being the good guys try to rescue them because we are all the republic right and yeah. then we find out the escape pods are just full of explosives and they blow up everyone trying to save them yeah <laughs> yeah uh there was another another section of this chapter one of the jedi is talking about her well i was thinking about her lightsabers i guess and it says uh, she had retrieved its kyber crystal, then a bright blood red from an ancient Sith light spear and healed it, purging the rage and pain instilled in it by its original owner. So this is kind of that concept that's been introduced in canon about uh, uh, bleeding a, a kyber crystal to make it red and then purifying a kyber crystal to make it white. That's something that Ahsoka does to some of the Inquisitor's lightsabers, which is what makes her blades white. Um, that's something that's kind of existed for a while now at this point. But it's interesting to me that this Jedi master person uh she's i guess they have sith rel uh, this is something that they introduced in dooku jedi lost which is a great story uh but in the jedi temple they have a vault filled with sith artifacts and relics of the past and so i thought to myself oh she took a sith weapon took its kyber crystal purified it uh this is an ancient sith light spear what do you guys think about ancient sith light spear like what is a light spear i've never heard of that cannon it's like a a, think of like a pole arm it's a long stab like a like a spear shape and then it just has a lightsaber tip at the end so instead of it being a staff saber like double bladed think of one of the blades just all being hilt is that is that is that what the mental image that you got too bryce um yeah i think yeah pretty much it's been it's not it wasn't canon until I believe this book, but it was something that's been in EU for a long time now. Right. It could have yeah, a bit of like a, a larger blade. It could have like a cross hilt at the end, like a Japanese style spear, but uh yeah, oh, I yeah. think so. Yeah, because one uh, so a, sta- a saber staff is the official term for a double sided double sided lightsaber. <laughs> uh but yeah, a, a, a light spear. I was like Either when way, I read I that think term, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they finally canonized it. Just yeah, yeah. more mid, like medieval style lightsaber weapons. Yeah, the better. If it's ancient, right? It could be something even more um, 
even more basic or like even more like old i don't know mm-hmm. yeah um chapter 40 there was uh there was a huge acknowledgement to something that happened in the last jedi something that we brought up earlier uh and the way that they word it is kind of interesting the ships of cassip's tempest had changed tactics again no longer just leaping from place to place through tiny hyperspace jumps now they were actively targeting the republic ships leaping into them colliding directly in the case of the smaller vessels and jumping inside the shield barriers from the larger cruisers and impacting against their hulls with massive blooms of fire and debris so this is something that that the resistance does in that kind of last attempt uh, that everyone was like, why haven't people just been doing this before in the films and stuff? Yeah. But uh, but now it's kind of, you know, it's revealed like, yeah, if you're a savage, like if you're, if you're you know, if you're willing to sacrifice everything you have to kill the enemy, then sure. Yeah. And there's something that should be noted about this part of the novel is the pilots themselves aren't choosing to do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Their it's, ships it's, are being controlled by the eye who is manipulating all the players on their side of the battle. He now has control of their ships, essentially. Yeah. I thought that was cool because it, um, for the, for the kind of the, a lot of the book, I kind of thought Marcion Rowe was kind of like the babysitter. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, ah, oh, I'm kind of like barely handling these people. But it's, it, it's right here that you finally, you're like, oh, like he's actually like leading these guys along. Like he is yeah. totally in control. And, and he's, he's got this bigger plan in place that he yeah. wants to use the Nile as like his own weapon. So it's pretty thing. satisfying to like get to this part and see uh, Kasov be like, oh crap, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. But, but they do rein in, what, what I was going to say about this hyperspace, you know, suiciding, they've cleaned up their act a bit. Like it's not quite the last Jedi, like one Mon Calamari cruiser blowing up a whole Imperial fleet, right? Mm. It's... Right. <laughs> these ships aren't like instantly hyperspacing into things and like destroying whole ships. Like, like they're, they're hitting ships, but they're just damaging them. sometimes they're just like the bigger ships are like crashing into the smaller ships, which are destroying them, which makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not just like one ship destroys a fleet. It's, it's, it, it's more like what you would think. It's just like a big ship crashes into a small ship and destroys it. But a small yeah. ship crashes into a big ship it'll damage it you're right yeah 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 i don't so know it's if not that, catastrophic like, it's just like yeah i don't know if little, it, like yeah. if people does, really care about that but i care about that shit does that, raise, <laughs> does that raise what happened in last jedi to be even more in question kind of uh yeah just a little bit but i also the way it's worded um i also think they're not going full on hyperspace because yes, there are smaller ships crashing into bigger ships, so it's not going to like decimate the whole thing. But the scale of the resistance ship compared to the first order ship was like, yeah, I don't think it would. I don't know. But the yeah. way I read it compared to what happens in that movie, which seemed a little kind of out there, uh, I I thought of it as like, oh, they're using hyperspace to actually kind of jump uh, into the shield. And then coming out of hyperspace into the ship sort yeah. of thing. So they're not they going hyperspace that, yeah. into the ship, but they're like kind of doing that to get past that shield. And that's the exact same way that uh, Han Solo and and Finn and stuff get right. into Starkiller base is they go into hyperspace and come out of hyperspace after the they pass through the shield, shield. right? Because yeah. yep. the shield can't like the refresh rate of the shield doesn't keep out things traveling at light speed. So yeah. so that's why I'm like, oh, I can I kind of mentally 
get along with that. Um, so I guess they haven't really discovered the effect of what it would happen if they just went full light speed into the thing. But uh, but yeah, I, I thought of it as like, oh, they're coming out of light speed after they pass through the shield like a split second before and then crashing into it. So um, we should probably yeah. mention as well um, the really satisfying point where Kasav um, is introduced to the the fleet from Iriadu. Hey. When the, yeah. when the fleet shows up. Right. So that was a little part in this section that was kind of gratifying because, of course, Iriadu got, got hit hard by his scheme. when They blew uh, up their moon, which had, uh, like, was it? Billions, 30, right? 30, yeah, it was a lot. So, yeah, I guess we're leaving out a, a section of context here, but to anyone who hasn't read the book, uh, but, you know, the, the based on what the eye comes up with through her his source, uh, which is this woman from the Santeca clan, she's able to figure out exactly where all the emergencies are going to happen, which is where all these pieces of the ship are going to come out of light speed. And so Cassive, being this like scummy dude, goes to Iriadu, which is uh, where some of these emergencies are happening, and uses it to blackmail them into uh, into giving him money if he's get if he's able like because he knows where they're going to happen, so he's going to protect he, the planet yeah, and shoot the them down. Yeah. yeah, he's the only one that can stop him and shoot them down before they hit the planet hard, right? And killing a ton of people. So he does it the first time, and then and then the Ariadu uh, Chancellor or whatever is on the the leader of the planet, uh, she's like, okay, fine, like here's your money, like now th- stop the attack. And then I guess they they got one of the calculations wrong with one of the emergencies, and they miss it, and it hits the planet, and a ton of people die. So they got the money, this thing happens, and then they just book it. And they're like, we're coming after you suckers. So then in this whole battle between Cassive's Tempest group and the Republic, the Ariadu people show up and, you know, Cassive is there in his ship and they're there in the other ship. They're just waiting for the Republic to like give them permission to just take this guy down. And, And yeah, that was a really cool moment of like having the them introduced in this battle and stuff like that. But yeah. So I was going to say, I really liked that bit where they tried to like extort Iriardu and he just backfires so hard on them. Yeah. It felt very Pirates of the Caribbean, almost like something that would happen to Jack Sparrow. (laughs) It's like, yeah, maybe you give me the money, I'll help you. And they give him the money and it just doesn't work. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 "Ah, Totally. Well, good luck with that. Uh, The comms, they're the, uh, just like the scanner operator just rolled a natty natty one on her like scanning check and yeah blows it up yeah yeah so uh (laughs) so the jedi bell that i mentioned earlier with the whole force like blaster reflect thing his master Loden, who's uh helping bell and stuff go after this family that some of the the nihil uh captured some of uh or another one of the other tempest groups had some strikes go out and capture this family uh, three of them are all safe, the mother and the two kids, but the dad, uh, the one that Loden's going after, uh, doesn't really get away too well. And both of him and the Jedi make their way onto one of the Nihil's ships and they get captured. And there's a moment where Markeon Rowe, you know, goes to the captured Jedi and doesn't and he, he picks up his lightsaber and uh, activates it and stuff. He's like, I, I think I'm going to keep this. And uh, he looks down at Oto Blythe, which is the the guy of the the the, the family who uh, was uh, captured uh, or being abducted, pulls out the lightsaber on his belt again, and he's supposed to be this valuable asset, right? The reason why they captured him, or so the 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 
uh, Tempest thinks is because his family is like the super wealthy Alderanian family. You know, we can use them to get ransom and stuff like that. And uh, when they're asking him, it's like, yeah, what are we going to do now that we've got him and stuff like that? He, and he's like, oh, this guy takes out the lightsaber from the captured Jedi, ignites it, behead, like just kills the dude. And and he's like, yeah, this was just this, like father of two. He's just this farmer, middle of nowhere, just pulled yeah. into this. Executed. It's, it's interesting executed. how they write this because, you know, when a Jedi kills someone with a lightsaber, nothing. Right. You, you just move on and it's just. You know, you're just killing the bad guys. When the bad guy kills someone with a lightsaber, it's like the stench was horrible and like yeah, it yeah. was revolting and like the it, it, says, it was it, it was it, it was he, like very he pulled out the lightsaber from his belt again, igniting it and bringing it down in the same motion, a golden slash right across the man, dead in an instant, cut apart. Yeah. Uh, so that's what they used it. Yeah. And and again, I was like, Marquion wrote. Once again, like not only has he orchestrated this whole battle that's going on with Cassiv, which is getting ripped apart and making his Tempest Hole look like a sacrifice for the Nile, making it look to the Republic as if they actually wiped them out when really it's only a third of their of their clan. Uh, but uh, now it's revealed that that was also his plan. But his other plan is like now he's like killing this dude, which like for many chapters now we thought was a valuable asset to the to the Nile for getting ransom money, but really that wasn't his plan at all. His plan was to use this guy to lure in a Jedi and to capture a Jedi. And and he just kills this guy as if it's just nothing. It's like, oh yeah, he's just discardable. Like we don't care about the money that comes out of his ransom. Like uh, all I wanted was this. It's like the the Jedi that he's got now in captivity. But I was like, this guy is impressing me as a villain. And he's unpredictable and very like insane as it turns out and he's very like joker like in a sense like you never know what he's gonna do it's funny because like as you're kind of explaining this whole situation i realized that with his plans it's almost like he's so many steps ahead almost in a thron like fashion only he's very ruthless instead of yeah. cold and cunning like thron is Right. Yeah. He's not as uh, tactical, which is something that comes up in his conversation with the Jedi. He's like, like, what's what's your grand plan? Like, what's your MO kind of thing? And he's like, plan? Like, I don't have a plan. Like, I've got a goal. I don't have a I don't have a plan that's going to make that all come up you know, true kind of thing. Unlike Palpatine, who has this like multi-step, 20-step grand plans, like he foresaw everything kind of thing. And it's like, sometimes it just makes you laugh because it's like, yeah, you totally foresaw you being tossed down a tube and having the need to like make a clone and then a granddaughter to then sacrifice that clone. And so you can be in her body. All part of the plan. Sure. Whatever. Right. Uh, And Mark Yarrow's like, does, I I don't know. Does he have a plan though? Because he just says, he claims he doesn't. He has steps that he takes to, to ensure that his goal happens, well, but he doesn't have this like grand plan. When did he claim unlike Palpatine. that he didn't have it was, one? It was near the end. He, it didn't say specifically that he didn't have a plan. Is that he said he's got several plans and he's just going to go with whatever one seems to be the best. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because because I yeah. thought he was just saying like he's like I'm not one of those evil villains that's going to tell yeah. you my plan. Yeah. yeah. He definitely yeah. did that. Uh, chapter forty two. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. There, there's that part. Where he gets, the, he like makes the the Jedi angry enough that the Jedi like tries to kill him with the Force. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was that section. Yeah. Yeah. What what does he do to instigate that? What does so he say he's to got him? him? I thought that was he's so interesting. In, yeah, he's got him in captivity, and he 
I forget exactly what he says to him. I didn't mark that that one oh, down. Oh, he's but, surrounded but him. Just he's surrounded so by much prisoners. pain and suffering, right? He's yeah. surrounded by yeah. prisoners, which which kind of and and he knows all these things uh, because he's. I think he's a Santeca, and because his like his great 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 grandmother is this person in the test in the in the support system, the life support system, who's giving them all this information about hyperlanes and stuff. Uh, but he knows all this because he's a Santeca, I think. And, um, and he, the Santeca are very, uh, good friends with the Jedi and know all this stuff. And so he knows how to make a Jedi suffer and knows how to prevent them from using their force without the modern, like electro cuffs that we see in the films and the movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he knows how to make them suffer in a way that, it would be it would be hard to focus with the force on certain yeah. abilities, right? Next, like constantly torturing regular people next to yeah. the Jedi. Yeah, I yeah. actually just remembered what what makes um what makes uh, Great Storm angry is when he uh, when Markion reveals that he was the one that sends that distress call saying, to "Oh come yeah, oh family, yeah, that's what it was." Right? Yeah, and he, and he and he imitates the like the guy oh, on the radio. Can you yeah, please come help me, Mister Jedi. I'm so scared. I can't do it myself. Like, oh, it was so good. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that would just be so infuriating. Hey, that would be. Yeah, yeah. That's manipulated a, that's a good... from the very beginning. Yeah. Right. It was um, all orchestrated. So there's another section in here where he says, uh, I sent one of my ships to intercept the legacy run, uh, a storm ship. They had no idea. I just needed an uh, accident, a disaster, something to put the Nile on the Republic's radar. So Marchion Mar has revealed at this point, uh, he planned for that great disaster accident to happen. Uh, and he planned for the Jedi to chase the captive family on uh, um, that planet. Uh, I'm now blanking on the name. Uh, all to just get his plan rolling. So he's got, yeah, he's got a plan. He's got a goal. He doesn't have like this grand 20 step plan to do it, but yeah, he's got all these little plans to like get the thing going. And, you know, it really impressed me as far as like the elaborate scheme that he has in place to use this Nile, this pyramid scheme. Yeah. He's to, really crafty. Uh, hey, nice. Yeah. So crafty. Yeah. And I thought I really admired that about a villain who I was like, okay, yeah, I could see this guy being an, a threat to the Jedi because at first I was like what bigger threat is there than a super weapon or the Sith right it's like it's hard to believe that some pirates and thieves and stuff are gonna yeah. be as deadly but somehow when the villain is the underdog it's much scarier and, and the right. stakes are kind of yeah. like like he's like he's he's uh yeah he's like yeah. And, and that's the way I think a lot of people view, or at least the way I've always viewed the Joker. It's like when he says to uh, Fal uh, Carmine Falcone or something like that, he says uh, uh, something along the lines of like, look what I did to Gotham it, with just a few barrels of gasoline and a couple of bullets. Like chaos, right? Just chaos, yeah. utter yeah. chaos. And that's exactly what Marquion Rose kind of after. It's like he caused this great disaster to happen, which has taken up the whole length of the book so far caused the, a third of their sacrifice, a third of the Nile to make it look as if they were all gone. And now he's capt uh, captured a Jedi, like with luring them in, trying to pretend to, you know, it's like, I was like, oh man, this is all like coming together. It's like really, really cool. Like uh, just the way you said, it's like an underdog villain. Like it's so, so good to the story. Yeah, that's pretty much the end of the book, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I've got like, two or three more annotations um one of them I've got one is more in... recording here that i think is pretty important that i think we need to go oh yeah over. go ahead go ahead and play that yeah, yeah. Sure. Actually, I, I was gonna ask like what what actually happens to the because i think two of the characters that kind of fall out 
are the like the the uh, the other Santecas the the pilot and the his mechanic wife. Or oh those yeah, the two that are the, the no, they're not. I don't think they're Sentai because they're no. they're like the ones from the RDC or something that or yeah, uh, they they uh, they work on one of the big ships. Yeah, they seem kind of prevalent, and then they they, they kind of vanish. Off, yeah. Well, I think they might have finally fulfilled their dream of going on vacation like <laughs> yeah, they're supposed so to. Too. Maybe uh, let, let's find out. Don't understand, Shrivok. Are you all right? We're running out of time. We have to fire. He's playing the wrong one. I know. Very smooth. She was supposed to be on a beach right now, wearing something tiny, sipping something delicious, lying next to her handsome husband, who was also in something tiny, thinking about it later, when they would both ditch even those tiny things think of inventive ways to make each other feel good. <laughs> That's probably the most important line of a quotation of the entire novel. And fans listening, if you're going to uh, read this book, I think you should make a decision based entirely off that quote. <laughs> <laughs> I think like this book definitely doesn't hold anything back as far as like somebody's like internal thoughts about I was, that was so unexpected. It was very, yeah. I think this is the most sexual Star Wars has gotten since yeah. like, since yeah. Leia got like seduced by Prince Z- Ixor, like in the whole <laughs> <these> books. Right. <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah. I was not expecting that. Like Star Wars is always so PG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is this is a uh, a, a grown up book. You know, uh, the Del Rey books are, are have never held anything back as far as uh, they've they've kept the Star Wars, but they've never held anything back as like, oh, a younger person is going to read this book. Uh, it's always been known as like the adult book lineup. And then we've got the Disney Lucasfilm kind of younger, young adult books and then the junior books and stuff. Uh, so yeah, but still unexpected <laughs> because, you know, you don't expect it from a Star Wars story, but definitely guess, not. Guess it happens. Um, does anything else happen with the, the book? Uh, oh, uh, with what? Sorry. Where are we at right now with the book? Uh, so we're kind of at the end, but uh, there was a few more things I just wanted to bring up. There was one yeah. section uh, in chapter 42 uh, uh, this kind of goes back to the whole hyperspace thing, but, uh, it says, I know he generated a report on the other potential uses for this array before he headed off to work for the Santecas. Have you read it? I have chancellor. Some brilliant ideas there could revolutionize hyper travel and even has applications in real space. If we can figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't require tens of thousands of rare, expensive droids. Uh, so this, this section kind of, uh, implemented, uh, uh, yeah, like the hyperspace that we know from the movies is different from like what's in this, but like what's accessible to yeah. people right now, right? So it's like, yeah, and the people in the movies, like with, uh, you know, with the the, the Navi computers on their ships, that's tech that doesn't exist at this current moment. Right. Like so there might be something like it, but the processing of- power. I mean, this is like, yes, it's Star Wars, but this is like two hundred something years later that that stuff is a thing in the Phantom Menace. And in this point in time, people don't have that tech. They've got Navi computers that have pre-recorded knowledge of the routes that are available, but they don't have the processing power to calculate a jump from here to there if a, a route doesn't already exist. And that's something that this like, massive uh, droid network comes up with. Right. Yeah. It kind of sounds to me like what you have you described here is that 
this guy may go on to then create the Navi computer that everyone else uses later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's kind of where that's good foreshadowing. Actually, I didn't even think of that. I didn't yeah, that, think about it until Josh repeated it right now. That's, that's <laughs> kind of like, that's kind of where my thought process was going. Kind of when I brought it up earlier with the whole network of droids coming up with a way to predict where these hyperlink, uh, where these emergences are going to happen. It unlocked new possibilities to uh, calculate new routes. And also at, in the same way, digitally replicating this natural force ability that the Santeca woman has for mentally coming up with a route on her own, right? Yeah. And, and then, and then the, the, they were able to match what she did through the force with computers. Like that is possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Tens of thousands of them to do it. Yeah. So 200 years later, that's a thing on a ship with a Navi computer. But right now it's like you need a 10,000 droids to come up with some calculation that just gets you from point A to point B. And, uh, you know, in the films and stuff, that's that's what we're seeing, especially in episode nine, when they're just going hyperspace, boom, 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 like, you know, just going across the galaxy with these short jumps. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just not a possibility at the moment. So, uh, yeah, once again, painting a picture, this is an era that takes place before all this other stuff. Um, there's something about chapter 44 the starlight beacon housed the largest temple outside coruscant and served as a hub for the order's activities in the outer room and beyond designed by renowned jedi architect paulo hadala where have i heard a name that sounds very similar to that wow (laughs) (laughs) and in the epilogue there was something else uh monstrous horrors surging out of the dark uh that was just a line in the very end of the epilogue uh the story ends finally putting to rest the question of the story group posed when creating the higher public in the first place what do the jedi fear that was something that they came up with designing this whole thing it's like we need to come up with something that the jedi are afraid of and then this last epilogue elzar has this vision this prop this prophecy that's given to him by the force of the jedi running away from something and yeah, not uh, retreating but full-on running like, away yeah and i was like what could that be like is that the nile or is that this other villain that they've come up with which is in the I think it's introduced now in Claudia Gray's Into the Dark book, which is kind of the the third book on the High Republic list now, um, and it introduces this like plant based villain. Yeah, I which, saw that. Yeah, so I don't know anything about that yet, but but I wonder if maybe it has something to do with that. Um, in this little teaser video that they published on the Star Wars YouTube channel, they kind of alluded to the fact that this is something that'll spread. So, so it's like a virus. That's kind I don't of. Know. It's like a I bunch of know. green goop that eats planets. <laughs> yeah. Giant so, flubber. Well, there was one. There was yes. one art art moment in the <laughs> in one of the yeah, <laughs> in one of the videos. They they had a picture of uh, one of these big plants eating a wampa like whole. So they're pretty big. Uh, but yeah, they're supposed to be like these plant-based like dinosaur things. I I don't oh, know. Okay. It's okay. it's a terrible. Described it. I almost pictured use it wrong. No, so it's a terrible way to describe it, but but that's basically the best way I could put it. It's like, yeah, I would I would just watch the video and it'll kind of give you an idea for. So it's all gonna be attacked by giant Venus flytraps. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's light of the Jedi. Um, I love that last kind of vision that he's left with. He says nose starts to bleed and everything, and. Uh, also, in the last phase of the book, Starlight Beacon, <laughs> uh, Starlight Beacon launches, 
and uh, they they have the the ceremony and all that stuff. And um, the the title of the book, Light of the Jedi, refers to this moment where all the Jedi activate their lightsabers and kind of like salute with them and stuff. And the color of all these different blades illuminates, creating this like bright sort of light that shines through the windows of the starlight beacon. And uh, and it's referred to in the book as the light of the Jedi. And I was like, oh, that's very, very cool. Like I was like, that's a that's a moment of 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 like, you know, I don't know. I, I thought of like the the a King Arthur moment where he holds up Excalibur and it's like, you mm-hmm. know, shining and glorified and everything. Yep. It's like uh, hope, you know. Um, so, yeah, hence the title of the novel. But anyway, what, what yeah, what do you guys think of all that stuff? Um <laughs> kind of curious like what do you what do you like think of the, the ending? ending of the book yeah just the ending of the book yeah i think Vision. they they definitely felt like they were setting up this new this new galaxy that they're going to be exploring in this era i really felt like because they they mentioned that they just finished the construction of the first satellite or a space station that everything's kind of going to be hubs out of in the first outer, outer regions yeah and it yeah. sounds like if they keep true to what's happened in this book, a lot of it's going to take place around the outer regions, even though the Nihil now will be going towards the core as well with their attacks and stuff. But they're going to create more of these uh, space stations all around the entire outer rim. So they kind of alluded that that there's probably a lot of the story will take place in these outer planets and stuff. And that's to me where I've always been quite interested to actually explore stuff. I always find things are quite more grungy, so I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about you, Bryce? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, overall, I'm just excited to see where it goes. Um, I'm excited to see what Markeon Road does with the Nile now that he's taken yeah, this yeah. this final step to like securing his loyalty with all those people as their leader and he's kind of dismantled the whole effect that the tempest leaders have on their groups like all these strikes and clouds and everything now kind of look at him as the the head guy and so yeah, he's, taken, he's actually taken the title yeah he's, yeah, he's now taking, in his own organization which is yeah cool. yeah he's yeah exactly that's the perfect way to put it yeah a coup in his own organization like led by him and and nobody even knows it except for like maybe one of the tempest leaders yeah, so Laura. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren, Lorna, yeah. I'm looking Lorna, forward to seeing Lorna what. Dean. Uh, Lorna yeah. Dean, yeah, yeah, that would be pretty so, cool. And they own ship after herself. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> now the Marvel comics and the Star Wars High Republic Adventure series by IDW, two comic book series that are uh, that with the first issue overlap the events of the book with different characters. And then the second issue of the Marvel lineup has uh, now taken place after the book where it ends. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? It's not really the focus of this chat, but I just wanted to kind of bring that aspect up um, that those stories do exist kind of um, overlapping the events of Light of the Jedi and then after. Um, what kind of things are you hoping that this series does as, as we kind of get down the lineup uh, with both of those? Before I before I we get to that, I have just two more little tidbits to add to the end of the other. Oh sure, yeah. Um, one, I really like the scene where the um, uh, the chancellor goes to Curson. She goes to like the last mountain or like the last piece of like earth that's like sticking up from Curson. I thought that oh, was awesome. Yeah, that yeah was I thought cool. that was really cool. Yeah. Like that, there's somewhere on Curson you can actually like step on what used to be the planet. 
yeah um i thought that was like really good set design and like really good world building to, yeah. to breathe new life into like Curzon, which has been used yeah. a million times yeah so true um, and the other one i don't know why this stuck with me was that they mentioned that they mentioned Utapau. And I thought that was kind of cool. Mm. <laughs> they, yeah, they, yeah. They mentioned that they're having like like the and it, well, I think what what's cool is that it anytime you like broaden the galaxy, it's kind of cool. They're like, yeah, down at Utapau, they're having like food riots in the sinkhole cities of Utapau, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, there is this like big economy that's being affected by the Nihil. And yeah. I was oh, like, right. yeah. there's space like, lanes being created. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, really actually, like that that like even though they're a small organization, the Nihil do have like an impact on the wider galaxy and it's up to the yeah. Republic to try to like keep that secure or maybe they're not, they're going to lose their grip and lose the trust of the, of the planets, which is basically happens. what happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. And actually yeah. that's, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Cause I totally forgot to bring that up, but yeah, a big other plot of this film after the great disaster happens is the chancellor is faced with a tough choice of, uh, cause they don't know what happened. So yeah, they, they just assume, they Oh, hyperspace. Yeah. So hyperspace, they think it could be dangerous now. So let's close off all the lanes, which means that there's no trade happening, um, which affects, yeah. Like sinkhole cities like Utapau and, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And if you compare that to, the globe here on earth how our economy works most countries aren't self-sufficient anymore they survive mm-hmm. by trading goods so right. if you do that it'd be the same thing in a in an interplanetary system where you close that off a lot of planets won't have a natural resource of food mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like it's like oh um the seas and skies are no longer safe to travel we gotta we gotta postpone trading through you know internationally just to just uh, until we figure something out right and then yeah, other countries like- would like feel like there'd be some yeah. crazy national disaster on our planet that is preventing everyone from from leaving the house and and, and trading <laughs> yeah and it's affecting our economy that'd be crazy right yeah <laughs> i mean like that's a good way to uh topical yeah the word the word um uh what it was i think the word quarantine was even brought up in the book to describe yeah. the situation with the, well, with the hyperlanes yeah. you know because they're going to reopen the hyperlanes because they think that markian Rowe that they think that it was just kind of like a one-time event but yeah. markian Rowe has the power to do this again right so oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. okay um okay that's my blurb <laughs> yeah no thanks for bringing that up though that was that was a that was a good point yeah blake you got anything last last words about light of the jedi I think we pretty much covered everything. I'm just really excited to see where it's going to go. The yeah. Nihil to me was just a really cool design. I just yeah. like them as a group. So I'm really curious to see how that how that all turns out. They, I would love. Like, go ahead. I'll just say like they just have cool strategies and a really cool vibe. Attack, right. gassing out places, and they all show up with their gas mask, and everyone's already dead. And just yeah. I, I, and you know, to add on to that, like, I, I really, yeah, I really love the Nile and, and, and what would be really cool. I, I would love to see them cause they've done quite a bit of artwork for this, this, uh, visual aesthetic for a lot of this thing, but listening to the audiobook and then reading a book, you don't necessarily get some of that, which is also why I read the, the kids adaption of the first third of this novel, which kind of does a story on its own with that. Um, because you do get some of those pictures that they've done up for this world building of this era. 
And uh, I would love it if they released an art book at some point with just some of this stuff, some oh, of the designs that they published yeah. online. You can you can find some of them on StarWars.com. You can even find some of them with the videos that they've published in the past. But yeah, it would be really cool to get like an art book of like, this is the High Republic era and, you know, all this stuff. And there's some designs that they've recycled from uh, projects in the past that have now made their way into the High Republic. Like Chancellor yeah. So is uh, a design for... Uh, a character, I think it was, uh, they were coming up with a villain for like a uh, visual aesthetic for, it was like Darth Maul or, or somebody. Um, hmm. And her concept from the Phantom Menace back in the 90s was now recycled to be used as Chancellor So. And, and I was like, oh, that's really cool because like it kind of acknowledges the fact that Phantom Menace was the beginning kind of in the storyline and, and that visual aesthetic was a little... It was on the spot with Star Wars, but it was a little kind of uh, dated as far as like where they wanted the galaxy to be and look like. So her design now fits perfectly 200 yeah. years before that's that point. True, and I was actually, like, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, like, I like that. So, yeah. So a lot of cool stuff happening with the visual aesthetic. And it would be awesome to get some sort of content that kind of gets us this mental image better as to what things look like. So that's all I got to say about it. But yeah. All right, but yep. f- like for the comics, I, I I don't know these first two issues of the uh, the the High Republic comic were really good. It's kind of like you know the the rise of a. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like telling the story of the rise of of one Jedi and the fall of uh, of another, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. And I think they're doing a, a really cool story uh, with this Trandoshan Jedi. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Skier, yeah, Skier, where good design, really good design he's dealing with his PTSD of what happened in the final battle of the novel. And right. He's yeah. really struggling with that, at least in these first two comics. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. How he's going to have to try to overcome that. A lot of real people uh, in the real world have that as a real struggle after serving in the military. So mm-hmm. something that uh, I think a lot of us are hoping for the Kenobi series is him struggling with a lot of what's happened in the desert of Tatooine and uh skier is no different right like he's like any other anybody who's gone through a really tough scenario and struggling with like that trauma right so uh even though he is able to regrow his arm back as a as a trandoshan he loses it in that battle and in the comic he's uh kind of going a little nuts with uh with you know mentally just kind of trying to overcome that whereas his apprentice like what you said bryce like it's a story of the rise of one jedi and the fall of another it's like you're seeing skier go downhill as a jedi master but his apprentice is promoted to jedi knight yep. in the first issue of the comic yeah and now we're seeing her take off as this aspiring jedi knight in the in the story as well so that that was what really cool as well something else about the comics like we are going to have more visual reference to certain things by seeing the pictures and stuff, yeah, which I also so nice. like as well. Yeah. Uh, did you guys read the adventures? This the first issue of IDW's publishing uh, Star Wars: The Higher Public Adventures. I did. I, yeah. Uh, I skimmed through it, so I don't really know what was happening. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's Yoda. Yoda with a bunch of younglings. Uh, they go out. What, what, what's the mission? I'm trying to remember the mission. Um, I read the it yesterday. Star Hopper. Blake, you thing, read it today. Right? Uh, yeah. What was the mission that they're on? Was it something um, to do with... I don't even remember the original plan. I just know they're there, and then stuff starts falling from the sky. 
Well, you get a visual. Right. You finally get to see what an emergence looks like, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also get to see like a cool Nihil like walker thing, which is yeah, it's awesome like it's, looking. I think it's a ship, but it, it has like these it's from the freaking Matrix. Big spider. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, could all, I could matrix. only think of that video. I know. I know Kevin me Smith. Too. Kevin yeah. Smith telling the story the of Superman. Spider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. If anyone listening hasn't watched Kevin Smith's two part uh, talk on stage as to what happened with the 90s uh, slash early 2000s iteration of Superman called Superman Lives, you have to watch it. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen on the internet. And uh, a big spider has something to do with that story but yeah i could only ever think of that in when when i was reading this comic book uh, but yeah there was a lot of text honestly the star wars adventures it is designed for younger readers but there was way more text than i than i anticipated there being uh, and yeah my assumption for being a comic book lineup that's designed for younger readers aside from the maturity of some of the graphical content where the marvel's comics don't really hold anything back as far as the viciousness of certain characters and violence goes uh this one might do that but as far as like text goes like they assume that you're definitely already in your early teens or preteen kind of age and i enjoyed it it was okay like it wasn't it wasn't uh overly young is the term i would wouldn't yeah. use to describe it it was just you know it's like all right yeah we'll make a comic book for uh people who don't want to read overly violent stuff not to call the marvel comics yeah. violent but they do have their moments so. i do almost wish that they would have went for these kids aren't people like young audience aren't gonna be as competent of readers so let's do a lot of imagery and so it would be yeah. a, a book or a comic series that's more around the artwork but mm. obviously they went the completely the opposite direction right is this um, we're talking about the stars adventure comic right Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that yeah. you really actually before the recording, you mentioned you really liked the the fact that they introduced a Kalish uh, Jedi. I actually really like the design, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I I really like how it's um it's kind of more of a cell shaded design, lots of color, and like I I find this it's not it, there's still a lot of violence in this. I'm gonna I'm gonna right, read yeah. all of this actually. Like it it's really cool to me. Yeah, and it yeah, follows staying, the story and, of of I guess this this um like this girl and her friend and and the girl is i guess hiding her jedi abilities from her friend as they're hopping right from the planet. Yeah, yeah their society exactly. doesn't encourage yeah. the use of the force yeah and she's like a yeah. nautilin but not a nautilin <laughs> yeah 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 totally. um no I, I actually really like the two i think i'll stay on top of that one as well um and, and so that is martian roe that actually pops in right at the end of that comic if you want to see his right. spooky silhouette right yeah so i've really interestingly enough uh this at first i thought oh the events of this comic overlap with light of the jedi in which case they kind of do but the ending i was like is this after no it's like, after or it's because, after now right yeah because i'm pretty sure that weapon he's holding is uh great storm's lightsaber made into another weapon yeah oh uh, okay now that you brought this up there was something that was alluded to in the book that i couldn't figure out quite what it was it was something he was holding that he took out of his belt that glowed purple and yeah. i don't i have no idea what it was it, it they made it sound as if it was some sort of like weapon of some kind but i couldn't mentally picture exactly what it was that they were trying to hint at but the only thing 
that I could think of was, oh, maybe it's some sort of like purple electro light whip of some kind. Uh, but Whoa. there was no, there was no alluded to fact that it was, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Actually, this story, I guess, would take place after light of the Jedi. That is Mark Yarrow and, and whatever he's holding, maybe, maybe it could be that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of lightsaber. Yeah. Anyways, I, sort of I like Yoda and his, um, his like cabin full of of teen of like kids that he's sending yeah, into yeah. battle for some reason like a horrible horrible person would like it's why why are you doing this but well, i would also is. watch a movie like it'd be pretty fun well there is a clone wars episode so there's that oh man no, I, I so back on clone wars talk <laughs> back on clone wars talk episodes uh diego and i had a great time chatting about about yoda's uh arcs and he says something that i kind of i relatively i was like yeah that's a good point he said anytime we get yoda showing up for a story arc it's always good it's always like a really cool story it has something to do with like you know, going into further depth with the force and, and whatever else. And, uh, you know, Yoda's never been the kind of character I could ever imagine myself seeing a successful single handed movie done about, but anytime he shows up, it's always like this respected moment. Uh, so yeah, it's cool that he's like kind of this. Yeah. They know. treat him very delicately, just like yeah. with Vader as well. Right. They don't want to bring him yeah. in too much. They, just bring them in for really important scenes and they take them out again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got as far as like, you know, things to come up with about these, this book and, and the comics and everything. There's two books that we haven't touched up on. Uh, one of them is called a test of courage, which is a junior novel. Uh, and it's written by Justina Ireland. That's kind of the next one in the story and focuses in on some Jedi Padawan characters that will come up later. And uh, Claudia Gray's novel Into the Dark just launched last week. Uh, I believe it was on uh, the... uh, Oh, sorry. No, it was two weeks ago now. Wow, time flies. It was on uh, February uh, 2nd uh, was when it hit shells and the launch event was on the 4th. Um, they did like an online kind of launch event stuff and that's going to be, a, a, a young adult slash, uh, a bit more like, uh, the group for lost stars, uh, sort of that age group. Um, it's going to be about, uh, some Jedi Knights slash Padawans or something like that. And I think that's the book that might introduce this other villain, um, the plant thing, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know anything about it yet, but I'll be reading those two books next. Wait and find out. So see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, if you guys uh, do you have any last any last things to bring up, I think our closing point here should be that we'll both or all three of us will rate the book uh, one to five. How many Pablos we will give it? How many Pablo points? Yeah, how many Pablo points? <laughs> how many so pa- I guess Paulo? You mean pa- Paulo <laughs> points? Yeah, Paulo. How well was it architected? I'd give it. I'd give it a solid i get four paulos that's what i was thinking yeah i was thinking that too yeah Yeah, i was thinking a solid four four. yeah yeah uh solid four where does it lose points honestly like let's let's try and think of something like was it my favorite part (laughs) i would have to say that maybe there's too many characters it did feel a little scattered at times and like i liked i get that they're trying to build this new era. So they wanted to introduce us to all sorts of stuff, but it was a lot of jumping around. And as we discussed, some characters just kind of vanished 
as they were no longer needed. They did just like the uh, the couple, the the traitor couple that we played a clip of earlier. They didn't really get written out. They just all of a sudden stopped showing up. So I would so, miss there. Yeah. So I think that's probably the same for me. I, I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, I loved the book. I thought it was awesome. Um, it's very hard to write a, a very compelling Star Wars book. Uh, yep. I, I mean, it's hard for me to put it up against the likes, the greatness of, of you know, Darth Plagueis or, or even uh, uh, the, the Clone Wars book, Dark Disciple. That's for, to this day remained one of my favorite books uh, of all time. And um, it's very hard to put it up against those ones and 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 have it be the same as as like, oh, I've enjoyed it just as much. I it was good, but I didn't enjoy it as much as those two books. So that's why I give it a four. But it's still a great Star Wars book. But yeah, yeah what do you I'd think? Still would Bryce? Recommend. Um, yeah, what about I, honestly, this is just like a preference thing. I don't think a lot of people might not think like this, but I I kind of like my space battles to be a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, Dog like fightery, uh, military. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I I really like it when they go into depth on like the strategies and the big slow moving ships that are like shooting lasers at each other and you get some like guys on the bridge that are like, ah, the shields are down 50%. Ah. Right. Like I, I, <laughs> I kind of like that. I, I'm a, such a space battles fan with star Wars. So, so you're really looking forward to rogue squadron then. The, oh, the, the, uh, the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 But like other than that, there's like a, there's like some stuff, but overall I think it was a really good book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Basic story book. Mm-hmm. and the villains, I think, were really well done. I was really happy with yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I mean, Escape Pod recommended. Yeah. <laughs> endorsed. So, Solid endorsed. Four or yeah. five Pablos here. Thanks. That's Star Wars, right. Star Wars, Star Wars probably pod. pay us for this endorsement. I mean, we're going to send like... <laughs> I got to send this to Del Rey and be like, yeah, we're gonna, we expect some uh, some pre-releases in the future. We're sending like <laughs> like tens and tens of, of tens of people. Yeah. <laughs> to go buy this. I believe it's roughly 10. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a whole 20, a whole audience of 20. No, it's And they're enough. not even going to buy the book anymore because you pretty much just it's went revealed through the whole thing. <laughs> well, three times we did the spoiler warning. So, I mean, well, uh, unless someone's just. If they haven't read the book yet, they're not going to buy it now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, this is, this is, if you're, if you're into Star Wars buying books, this is a worthy addition to your collection. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big person on rereading books. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, the only one that I've read more than once is Darth Plagueis and the, that was the Legends book. And then the, the Clone Wars book, Dark Disciple, which is the canon book. Um, but out of those two books, uh, I've read them both twice and I don't normally reread books. So that's why they get that. That's why they get my, my five Apollo points, but uh, but uh, would this be a book that you would reread? Whether or not you think it's a good, like you know, we all think it's a great book, but is this a book that you could reread and still enjoy it? I'm gonna be honest, I probably wouldn't, just because of the fact that I usually only reread Star Wars books if it's been like 15 years, right. <laughs> or something yeah, like that's that. Fair. Like probably that way too. Yeah, so. I don't know of any Star Wars books that I've reread that aren't like, you know, like 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For That's me, fair. the same as I was mentioning earlier, I, I would reread 
Death Troopers, and I've actually done that one twice, and uh, like Allegiance, but yeah, probably. But, but in no way does that mean like that this book isn't good. I, I just I for right. I don't read most books. Yeah, twice. Yeah, so it's just a personal preference thing for all of us, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to anyone looking to buy this book, I mean, you can't go wrong with this one. It's great. It kicks off a new era that we're going to get stories for another year and a half, almost maybe almost two years. Uh, the Disney Plus series, The Acolyte, will take place at the very end of the High Republic era. And uh, over the next year and a half, as they take on this ambitious project at Lucasfilm uh, to bring us a whole new era of Star Wars that we've never seen before, uh, I think you know this book is kind of a great way to get just launched right into what they're going to be going forward with you know you'll get a good sense of even if you don't stay on top of it and read other stuff i think anyone who picks up this book will have some idea for what the high republic is like uh you'll get a great insight into what a star wars book can be like uh as a good example of any kind of star wars book goes uh because there are some oddly some some bad ones out there <laughs> uh so yeah i know i think it's a recommended story to to, to pick up and uh, you can't go wrong with it so anyway thanks guys for for coming up on uh the show uh we'll we'll do the line in three two one we, we are, are the republic, the republic. <laughs> a scream or a yell Forceful, almost panicked. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Man, that uh, that that Wookie impression is is something else. Uh, thanks again, Bryce and Blake, for all the input, all the uh, amazing breakdown discussion that we had today on uh, Star Wars: A Light of the Jedi, which is in stores now. Uh, you can pick it up at your local bookstore. Written by Charles Soule, it's a great addition to the Star Wars story and a great way to kick off this new era being labeled as Star Wars The High Republic. So don't miss the next books in the lineup, uh, which uh, include the Marvel Comics uh, series called Star Wars The High Republic, as well as IDW Publishing's uh, comic book lineup called uh, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures. We also have a book called uh, uh, Star Wars The High Republic A Test of Courage, written by Justina Ireland, and Claudia Gray's latest addition to the lineup called Star Wars The High Republic Into the Dark. So those two books are uh, something we didn't cover today, uh, however, covering the beginnings of the comic lineups and Light of the Jedi, uh, I'm sure we'll get around to those eventually. We'll get, we'll give some uh, more time, I guess, to uh, read those for, for anyone who hasn't read those books. Uh, but uh, I guess I'm going to personally try and keep on top of this stuff. Uh, I, I don't know about uh, Blake and Bryce, but if they're on board with me in that one, uh, you'll see another discussion coming your way, uh, breaking down those books as well. Uh, they should be fun to get through. And uh, of course, uh, more content in the High Republic era is always a good one. So if you uh, want to send us a voicemail feel free to do at our uh, speakpipe address listed in the description as well as the many ways to contact us and uh, to join the discord and uh, follow us on the twitter which is at sw escape podcast stay tuned for more great content including rebels talk and uh, we'll see you guys next time on star wars escape pod may the force be with you